Hey guys, brand new podcast, and I am on my way to Auckland, June 15th, June 20th. I am in Sydney with two shows, the 22nd in Melbourne. I know it's Melbourne, but I say Melbourne because I grew up in Florida where there's a Melbourne, Florida. And then Brisbane and Perth, there's a show left in Brisbane. I think all Perth shows are sold out or vice versa. That's the 26th and 29th and 30th, respectively. Respectively? Yeah, I learned that when I was in high school. On the 27th of July, I am at the Met in Philly. Make sure to get your tickets for the Met in Philly. That that will sell out. Uh, it's really close right now. So make sure to get your tickets. I can't promise that we're going to do another show because I'm riding a bike to Atlantic City the very next day. That's so stupid. Why? Why are you doing that? Because I, I like challenging myself. How many miles is that? 70-something. That is dumb. You're not going to make that. Are yeah, you well, really going to do that? That's easy peasy. Shit. You being not, serious? Yeah, I'm being serious. It's not going to be hard, baby. I take spin glasses. Oh, my God. You. This may be the dumbest, dumbest moment ever. Are you really? Serious? You're going to really consider riding a bike 70 I'm not considering it. Miles. I've already signed up for it. Are there any hills? No, it's Philadelphia. It's all downhill. You go to the beach. Everything, Leanne, everything goes to sea level zero, right? So we're going to Atlantic oh, City. Oh, my God. Everything goes to zero. You're, it's all downhill. Eventually, but there's hills in Philly? It, Leanne, the whole point of this country is everything goes up from sea level. So if you ride to the beach, you're oh just going God. downhill the whole wow. way. You know, I don't know how you tested in the 20th percentile highest intel intellect in this country and you're having this conversation with me. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, it, it is not it a makes, downhill slope from makes, Philly to the sea. It makes sense, though. No, it doesn't make sense. All you need to accomplish your goals is to rationalize it in your head. Okay. That's all you need in life is rationalization to believe you can achieve things. Halston, I might start a self-help podcast. Oh my god! Where I where I just give little, you know, we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that today, Halston. Burkheiser's self-help, and it's gonna start with this one. It's called blind ignorance. Is that this it? is how it's gonna go. We're gonna tape this today, Halston. Oh my god! Hey, I'm Bert Kreischer, and today's lesson on self-help with Bert: rationalizing goals. Oh my god! On July 28th, I'll be riding my bike from Philadelphia. To Atlantic City. Are you doing this by yourself? Where are you getting this bike? You don't have a bike in My Philly. bike's right there. You're taking that bike to Philly? How? I'm going to ship it. You are. This is the this this is really a cockamamie idea. It's not. It's actually a brilliant idea. On June 28th, I'll be riding. July 28th, I'll be riding my bike from Philadelphia to Atlantic City. A lot of people say that's going to be tough. All you have to do is rationalize your goal. It's downhill. We're just going to sea level, people. Oh my God! Philadelphia is. What's check? Can you check the the altitude of sea of uh, Philadelphia? Well, eventually you'll be at zero, but you at, have to go ups and downs the on the way. Of Philadelphia, Halston. Altitude. Elevation of. <laughs> <laughs> You're proving my point a what's little too clearly. What's the altitude? Thirty-nine thousand feet. Uh huh. So eventually you'll be at that zero. Can't be that. That'd be airplanes fly at that. That was the altitude of Philly. Oh my 39 god! Thirty-nine feet. The altitude's thirty-nine feet. That's only forty feet downhill. Oh my god! So it's so flat. <laughs> it's all- Boy, I love your rationalization. It's really working out for you. Oh my god! <laughs> You're gonna have to pedal. 
you're gonna have to push that Burt Kreischer is thirty nine fucking feet, Halston. Yeah, you can't it's even roll a penny downhill. Feet. You can't even roll I'm a penny. I'm only going four stories downhill. Yeah, are you fucking kidding me? Over seventy seven miles. This was a great plan. God damn it! Who came up with this plan? It says there are hills. Of course there are. It's, a, it's part of Appalachia. It's a, a right off the edge of Appalachian Mountains. I mean, you know, hello. There's a McDonald's drive-thru. There's a McDonald's drive-thru with a really steep oh, hill. I have to worry myself about that. You may have to walk the bike up the drive-thru ramp. July 27th, I'm at the Met in Philly. And then the next day, we're driving our bikes to Atlantic City. So if you want to sign up, I think now, I think you, it might be too late. But if you really, really, really want to sign up, we're doing it for a good cause. What's the cause? I don't actually know. I, f- I wasn't listening. It's some orthopedic surgeon? Because no. you're going to need some when I you're just, done, when you I blow just, out your dang knees? No, I go to spin class all the fucking time. When was the last time you went to spin it's class? It's been a little while because I was sick. Because I was sick. It was like March. It's now June. This is the craziest silly goose idea. Mm-hmm. Silly goose. Um... Don't be calling me to rub your back. That's a dumb, dumb, dumb option. And then we got to ride our bikes back. Back? No. Maybe I'll just rent a bike out there. I don't know how you're going to get that bike to Philly. How do you ship you a ship bike? a bike. It's super easy. Is I it? actually haven't researched it at all. I was going to say, how do you know? And you know what's going to happen. I will have to ship the damn bike. What happens? Can you fly with the bike? What happens in my brain is you can't carry it on. Um, what happens in my brain is just blind confidence. Yeah, I know. Oh my God. 2,200 miles is a Tour de France. Mm-hmm. How many stages in the... How, what's an average day on the Tour de France? I might have to go take a shit. My stomach's bothering me now. Is it? Oh, yeah, now I'm like... Is it anxiety? Like 70 miles might be really fucking far. Especially when it is relatively flat or hilly. Oh my god, that's going to be like seven hours of bike riding. Uh, y- yeah, less than that. No. Huh. <laughs> I wish you hadn't said any of this, Liam. <laughs> I wish you hadn't said any of this. You know, babe. There's a reason that we are a team. I live in reality. I do, and and you know, it's really inspiring to be married to a dreamer. But sometimes, I don't know. Sometimes you might your dreams may be a little too. Uh, let's let's yeah. workshop a new podcast called Blind Confidence. Okay, there's a new podcast with Burt Kreischer called Blind Confidence. It's my self help podcast. Okay, so name something that you think is undoable, and I will tell you immediately why I can do it. Why does it have to be something you do? Name something. Name anything, and I'll tell you why I can do it. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, it it's. Blind confidence. It is the rationalization that goes on in my head with any feat of 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 endurance, uh, minimal skill, endurance, aptitude, intensity. Give me something, Halston. Skydiving without a parachute. Oh uh, uh, no! Hold on one second. I could if I'm not trying to kill anybody. No, hold on. No, Travis Pastrana did it. Oh, I don't oh, know who I'm, that guy is. His last talking, name sounds like you, a sandwich. Hold on. Do you want me to latch onto someone, or do you want me to do it like a man? However, and land think. on a slope, a graded slope. I could land on a graded slope okay. and just slide in. Yeah. Yep. That's how it works. That's how it there works. There was a woman in Germany 
who was in a plane crash. Everyone died except for her. She was a flight attendant. She was in the back of the fuselage, and the plane hit, landed on a mountain and slid. She skid down the mountain. She skidded down the mountain, so I could probably do that. That's if, I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying like I could go and get up out of a plane, jump out and do it, but I'm saying, what I'm saying is, in the event of a plane crash, fuselage opens up, I am now skydiving without a parachute, I would definitely look for some vantage points uh, to the right and to the left, below, beyond, work my way over and try to slide down a mountain. That's why people wear those squirrel suits. Yeah. Same exact reason. Same exact thing. I believe in you. Thank you, Halston. Leanne, give me a feat. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't live in that world of like extreme stuff. So I don't know enough about extreme stuff. You gave birth to stuff. a child 15 years ago today. Yeah. That was terrible. You could never do that. You don't have a uterus. Well, no, I know. Obviously, I can't give birth to a child, but I definitely, by the way, I definitely just could not give birth to a child. I, that's something I could not. If you're hearing this, we are in Bali, but happy birthday to our daughter, Georgia. It's her birthday today. She turned 15. Today. Today. And it's been a fun 15 years. It sure has. She's, she's been a great kid. She's gone by so fast. It has. She's been a great kid. 15 years ago today, I was making $700 on the road. That's how much money I was making featuring. Was 15 featuring. years ago today, I was sitting in my own shit, piss, and blood. And a nurse walked out of the room and turned the lights out on me and left me there shaking and in shock. It was a terrible and day. And I took Georgia into the receiving room where Leanne... They were supposed to, that was going to be Leanne's room. And I waited with my family and my sisters and Croy and Cayman. And we all waited for you to show up. And someone after 20 minutes goes, where's Leanne? And I was like, oh, she's on her way. And they're like, do you want to go check on her? And I was like, I can, but pretty sure she's on her way. And they're like, maybe you should go check. So I went and you were in a room going, help. I was. Hello? I was. I gave birth right before shift change happened at the hospital. And so like shift change happened at like seven and I think Georgia was born at 725. So they literally cleaned her up and like somewhat they stitched me up and then walked out of the room and said, someone will be back to help you clean up and to get to the other room. And the last nurse out turned the lights out on me and left me. I was literally whole body was shaking because I was having a bad reaction. I had a botched epidural. So my, my whole body was like shaking and nobody came back and i didn't have the button you know how they give you the button to press yeah i didn't have the button so i just stood, sat there and shaked and i started going help anybody they never came back for me what a fucking soldier Leanne they is. must have need if, and they eventually would have needed the room i guess first to deliver another baby and found me freaking dehydrated and shaking in my own juices it was awful speaking of re reflecting that is a lot of what happens on this podcast today. Today's podcast is with Steve Byrne. I've known Steve for 20 years. Um, there's things I didn't know about Steve because if we're going to be dead honest, I'm not that good of a friend and I barely listen to people. I don't answer my phone. I don't reply to texts. I am really a frustrating friend. Steve talks about that a tad bit. But, um, but I didn't know anything about Steve getting into comedy. I didn't know how quick it happened. I didn't know his relationship with Amazing Jonathan. I've known Amazing Jonathan for about 19 years, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> almost maybe maybe almost less than that, a little bit less than that, but Amazing Jonathan, Steve made a movie. Steve made, has made a couple movies. He's had a sitcom. He's a really inspirational guy in our business is that he just blazes his own path. Right. He did a documentary called Always Amazing about Amazing Jonathan. Amazing Jonathan 
was at death's door, came back and started doing the road again. <laughs> it kind of it kind of talks about his life, his lifestyle, his act, his his meteoric rise, and kind of his a little bit of his implosion. Um, it's a really great documentary. I watched the whole thing, but in this podcast, we just basically talk about all the good times we had. We toured for Jameson Irish whiskey. Uh, we talk about how Steve makes friends. Steve uh, is really good at making friends. Yeah. Like, like, you know, Segura's like that. Like, they can make a friend. I guess I never learned that. Right. Like, I, I don't, I, I'm very weird about not, I, I don't want to know people. And I, like, I'm, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want people to f- let me down. So I just don't let them in. Yes. As you have a, you have some intimacy issues and intimacy doesn't mean sex. It means like being close with another person. You definitely have those kind of like, you can be intimate with an entire, you know, theater full of people and share your deepest secrets. But to sit on a couch next to somebody and have a real conversation is more challenging for you. Yeah, It always has been. And, you know. Speaking of intimates, have you been shaving your intimates? Yeah. Because Manscaped offers the greatest precision engineering tools for your family jewels ever made. I am telling you, as a guy who's been shaving my balls, I used to shave my above my balls, but I don't do that anymore. Why? It, it just looks weird. Yeah. Doesn't look as good as it used to look when I was younger. Now it's mm. older and it looks like a big fat baby. It looks like a low hanging fanny pack. <laughs> you want to hear more Leantics? Check out Wife of the Party. That was a good one, That's right? That's a really good one. <laughs> uh, I have nicked my balls because the razors that are meant for your face are not meant for your balls. It's different technology, and they have hit it out of the park with the Lawnmower 2.0 electric trimmer and skin safe technology. I actually travel with this because it's super easy to charge. It's got a USB charging kit which you know overseas makes it super easy to just kind of plug into your computer or a, a, a power out of one of those power chargers um travel chargers yeah and uh i ch- i trim my cheeks with it i also shave my balls with it and you are not going to nick your balls they i'm telling you these things are absolutely amazing and, and wait do you powder your balls because i do and i don't need 20 more because you can keep your fellas feeling cool and dry all day and reduce chafing with the Manscaped Crop Preserver. You already put deodorant in your armpits. Why aren't you putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body, Tom Segura? Get 20% off plus free shipping using the promo code BERT at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Get 20% off plus free shipping and a free travel bag with the code BERT at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping and a free travel bag at manscaped.com. Use the code BERT. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks fill our freezer. There is no better feeling in the world than to say to your wife, what do you want for dinner tonight? And no, you have steaks galore, top to bottom, in your freezer. I love Omaha Steaks. This weekend, we just made... Uh, we had a birthday party for my daughter, Georgia, and we used the Omaha uh, burger patties. And they Holy were delicious. shit. They were not dogs. as good as the motherfucking hot dogs. Yeah. The hot dogs were phenomenal. I mean, not one person had a hot dog and didn't comment, I haven't had a hot dog like this in my entire life. In my life. And right? I had bought other hot dogs 
a while back because we we were out of Omaha steak hot dogs, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, maybe I'll try to match them. And we cooked those two, and they were all left over. Everyone ate the Omaha steak. They People did. were digging through them to find the Omaha steak hot dogs. I can't speak enough about these hot dogs. They were awesome. Seriously, if you're looking for an easy, affordable way to stock up for summer grilling, which all of us want to do, that is what makes us American, this is as great a gift as you can ever think of. Think of Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks is America's original butcher, making special occasions easier since 1917. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving a limited-time Father's Day gift to my listeners. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code BERTCAST in the search bar for 74% off the Father's Day Steak Fix gift package. A $230 value now for fifty nine ninety nine. Did you hear that? No, I'm going to go order that for our dad. $59.99. I am telling you right now, in this, you get two top sirloins, two pork chops, four Omaha steak burgers, which are amazing, the four massive gourmet jumbo franks, which I can't speak enough about, for crispy chicken fried steaks, which I absolutely love, all beef meatballs, four chicken breasts, apple tartlets, four of them, and a packet of Omaha Steak Signature Seasoning, and you get four extra Omaha Steak Burgers for free. This is an amazing package. Great deal. As a gift for dad or to stock up for summer grilling, all at 74% off. Omaha Steaks deliver 100% guarantee world-class steaks, burgers, franks, and more. Order with the confidence of America's original butchers. Hand trim, flash frozen, vacuum sealed, online sport with recipes, wine pairings, and so much more. You are talking about a family owned and operated company still run by the fifth generation delivered right to your door. Again, order now and you can get this exclusive Omaha Steaks Father's Day Steak Fix package valued at $235 for just $59.99. Just go to omahasteaks.com and type code BERTCAST. In the search bar. Don't wait. This offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com and type BERTCAST in the search bar to get the Father's Day Steak Fix package today. I got to go. I got to go talk to Ruth. Okay. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your reads. Oh, thank you very much. Love you. All right. I'm going to take a nap after this. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to flex. Hey, way to screw up my seamless read. We got 11 o'clock. I know I have 11 o'clock. I was trying to tell you about Brooklinen. Making your home beautiful is the ultimate form of self-care. You spend a third of your life in the sheets, and you don't you want to be insanely comfortable? Now, with the warmer weather here, it's time to switch up your sheets, duvets for a little something breezier, lightweight, soft. Check out the newest linen collection with a beautiful assortment of colors. Brooklinen's got 35,000 five-star reviews, more than any other online betting company, with half a million happy sleepers and counting. Counting founded in 2014 by Ricky and Vicky. That's actually Rich and Vicky, but I would call them Ricky and Vicky full up. Who wanted to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. Their only mission was to make you comfortable. Beautiful, airy linen pieces that give your bedroom a chic, relaxed feel while providing you with the ultimate comfort they've got 12 beautiful linen colors and patterns to choose from it's in their name you know it's good brooklinen's newest linen collection is amazing i couldn't recommend their products more for graduates going off to college newlyweds christening that bed for the first time friends family 
Treat yourself to the bedroom upgrade you deserve. Brooklyn is giving an exclusive offer to my listeners. Get 10% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BERTCAST at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The only way to get 10% off and free shipping is to use the promo code BERTCAST at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code BERTCAST. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. Uh, thank you all to my sponsors. Um, the birthday girl just walked in the man cave and is sitting where my wife was sitting. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Georgia May Kreischer. Grab the mic and say, thank you, dad. Thank you. Do you feel older? No. You don't? I feel the same. You feel the same? You excited about driving in six months? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Have you been getting a lot of birthday wishes? Yeah. You don't just nod. No one can yes, hear Yes, I have because I'm very popular. Did you see my um, my Instagram I put up? I put it on my story. Check my story on Instagram. Check your story? Is yeah. that how we communicate to each other now? By checking each other's stories? No, look. just look at it. Okay. All right. It's been happening all day. I keep adding. Whoa. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, what was this? Happy birthday, Georgia. Eat more chicken. That was at school. That's great, baby. Uh, I know. I'm so popular. <coughs> Are you happy? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You excited about going to Bali? Yes. I'm, I'm not happy, though, because I'm spending, like, the night at an airport you're not spending the night at an airport you're spending the night on a plane no i know but like i'm gonna be like at the airport and then on a plane oh for your birthday that you're not going out with friends yeah but that's okay yeah well you're gonna you're gonna spend uh your first day of being 15 in hong kong at the airport oh yeah yeah we're going to hong kong tonight and then uh, I just from, added something else to my story. You just added something else to your story. You're getting blown up. I'm getting, so are you getting those all on Snapchat? I'm getting them on Snapchat and Instagram. Nice. I told you I'm popular. Well, I just got three more. Nice. Look at me. I'm look at me go. Look at you go, girl. Well, I will tell you, Georgia. Uh, it has been the fucking fastest, funnest 15 years of my life. I feel like for me to get from 1 to 15 when I turned 15 took forever. And now I feel like from 30, what, 31 to 46 just happened overnight. I wish you were a baby again. I don't. Uh Uh-oh. Hey, what are you doing? She's being rude. Is that Ruth? Yeah. Hey, uh, go tell. I've never seen her. I've never seen her either. She lives at our house when we're gone? Yeah. I've never seen her. No, we've never seen her. I didn't know that's what she looked like. I thought she was going to be a lot different. I thought she was going to be, you know her deal, right? Yeah, she lives in like a car. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Never mind. No, no. (laughs) She just house sits. Yeah, I know, because she lives in a car. No, no, stop, 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 stop. No, she... (laughs) Let's start this podcast. This has been a long fucking intro. No, No, Georgia, stop, stop. She lives in her car and she goes from house to house. How about, hey, how about when fucking Isla found out that because she's on her period, the monkeys were going to attack her vagina. (laughs) They were eating breakfast. And they have monkeys at temples all over in Bali. And they're like, you can't go on your period. And Isla's like, I just won't tell anyone. And we're like, no, Isla, they'll smell you out. It's like, huh? We're like, that's 
the reason you can't go is on your period. The monkeys will go after your vagina. And she went, huh? <laughs> I will, Isla, Georgia, do you realize how quick we'll go viola, viral if we shoot a video <laughs> of monkeys attacking Isla? Is that true? I, Georgia, it's 100% true. What do you think? Do you think it's a religious thing they don't want you there on your period? How would they know? I don't know. No. I just thought that they just like didn't like it. They were like, oh, you just put it. Hey, guys, guys, in. no pads. No pads, please. No we don't, pads. No, Georgia. It's just got another one. I just got another one. I'm blowing up. Mom's on her period, too. I know. I haven't gotten mine yet. Wait, hold on. I was told you just finished yours. Like mom told, I finished mine after we went to the doctor. <sighs> I can't believe on my podcast I'm talking to my daughter about getting her period. Okay, Georgia, let's just wrap this up and start the podcast, okay? I'm not on your podcast. I don't care. No, don't try to be cool. You're not fucking cool. I'm okay? so cool. Look you're at me. You're not cool. I'm, I'm cool, so... and you're nothing. Are you sure? Your coolness is based off my coolness. That's a lot. And you're making me less cool right now. No, I'm not. I'm making you more cool. Because I'm 15 and you're 48. 46. <laughs> okay. 46. Mom's 48. Oh, you married her. Not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. We got to tell Ruth about. You think Ruth's going to take. Ruth looks like she'll be able to take great care of my marijuana plants, huh, George? Her arms are a little too skinny. Her arms are a little too skinny. She needs some heavy lifting. I got to lift weights and work out. I got a meeting in. What time is it, Halston? We have to go get sweatpants. We got to go get sweatpants for my daughter for her birthday. Isla and didn't even get me a present. I know she didn't. I got you a present. She, You did? Yeah, I got you a fucking iPhone. Oh, yeah, you did. And now I'm going to go get your sweatpants for the plane. We are off to Bali. If you're hearing this, I'm already off. If you're hearing this, I am now off to. Uh, uh, to New Zealand. I'll be in Auckland on June 15th, Sydney the 20th, Melbourne the 22nd, the 26th in Perth, and then Brisbane on the 29th and 30th. I can't wait. Happy birthday, Georgia Kreischer. Thanks. I love you. Love you too. Today's podcast, my buddy, filmmaker, comedian, sitcom star, documentarian. Why are you yelling? I don't know. I just try to give it more energy. Korean American, my buddy, Steve Byrne. This is Nerdcast. <laughs> That's almost half. That's almost half, yeah. You cut the music? I'd listen to the fucking music on the fucking podcast for all I give a fuck. I, I hate that you can't like let you get demonetized if you put it on YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah. How'd you deal with music in your documentary? Well, we had like filler music, and yeah. then I got my buddy Neil Kane, who is a bass player for Harry Connick, an incredible jazz musician. You have the most diverse group of fucking friends. <laughs> well, you I really met, do. I met Neil years ago. I went to see Harry Connick. And met him backstage and just like gelled instantly. And every time I go to New York to Gotham, he comes. And then I'll go see him perform at a jazz club afterwards at like one in the morning. How do and you, like, what's the key to making friends? Oh, Bert. Uh, calling them back. I'm not good at that. Yeah. Texting I'm, them back, I'm which horrible. is a little easier. I'm horrible at all of that. Bad. So I would say those things. So, but are you comfortable? Like, <laughs> are you comfortable? Like, like the first time you met Vince Vaughn. Yeah. And you, where, where were you when you met him? I was 
the first time I met Vince Vaughn, actually met him was, so they did the Wild West comedy shows, right? Yeah. And they had done the documentary. Then they did like some pickup shows in Vegas and it was New Year's Eve in Las Vegas at the, uh, at the Mandalay. And one of the guys got sick. I think it was Caparillo. So Vince says to Ahmed, hey, do you know anybody that could fill in for Cap? And Ahmed goes, hey, this guy, Steve Byrne, just moved here from New York City. He's pretty cool. We'll have him on. So I go backstage and go to do the gig. And I meet Jennifer Aniston, who he's dating at the time. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is, I fucking hope this goes well. And then I meet Vince very briefly and Peter Billingsley very briefly. And Vince comes out. Welcome to the Wild West show, everybody. How you doing? Everybody's, whoa. He goes, all right, let's get it going. That's it. That's it. Like, the show just started. All right, let's get it going. Your first comic, he's from New York City. Uh, Steve Byrne. That cold. I go up at 2000, whatever. But we did Beecher's Madhouse. So I knew how to work a crowd of 2,500. Yeah. And I'm pulling out all the tricks. Beecher's Madhouse, for everyone that doesn't know, yeah. was a fucking rough run of fucking i mean it was insane yeah it was it was basically like spring break in las vegas for a bunch of good-looking people that have money yeah that's what it was so so i go out i pulled out all the stops and out of the gates i got a standing ovation and then vince and peter came over to talk to me afterwards at the crafty table and i believe me i was pounding like a heineken that night i was like oh my god thank god that went well and then like a week later vince and ahmed were having lunch somewhere and they were like, hey, we should call Byrne and have, have lunch. So I, I met them for lunch. And next thing I know, we're in um, like a like a month later, we're in the like Belize or something and on vacation. Hold on, how do and you jump to Belize? I, they were just talking at lunch. Like Vince, I think he just finished a film. He wanted to get out of town. And he's just like, we should go somewhere. We should just go somewhere. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go somewhere. He's yeah, like, man. you want to go to to wherever? And I was like, yeah, sure. And next thing I know, I'm there. And and it was funny because we go to the hotel the very first night. And I had done this show on NBC called The Real Wedding Crashers. I which was like that. punked for with weddings. With you and Ben Glebe? With Glebe and Gareth Reynolds yeah. and Kat Reitman and Desi Lytic. So I go to check in and this guy goes over. He sees Vince Vaughn. He goes, oh my God, The Wedding Crasher. And then he looks at me and goes, The Real Wedding Crashers. I love that show. And Shut I was like, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. So he gave me a lot of guff for that. But I would say on that trip, that's when I really got to know him. And, and you know, it was just me, him, and Ahmed for, you know, like five days. And there's no, like, internet, no TV. We just hung out and BSed and just realized what a great guy he is. He's just so down to earth. And, you know, he's been, like, one of my best pals ever since. So Yeah, you have that same thing Segura has where you can, you can, I wish I had this. You can hang out and you if no one's talking, you don't feel the need to kill dead air and no. just fill it with just fucking nonsense. Or I'm fine to sit by myself. Uh, yeah. I wish I fucking had that. <laughs> well, I will say this. There is times where we were on the Jameson tour. Tink. When oh, we man. would be hanging Cheers. out. Hey, congratulations Cheers, to your movie, man. It's fucking awesome. Thank you. You sent me the movie a while back. I watched the entire movie beginning to end. I have to say I'm a huge, big, amazing Jonathan fan. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And so we'll talk about the movie. We want to sure. promote the movie. How's that sound? Does it sound horrible? No, I, 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 oh, nice, nice. Okay. Well, we were on the Jameson tour, and I yeah. got to say, there were there were evenings where we'd go out, and I will say, in all the times I've been on the road, from the Sullivan and Son tour, even Wild West tour, that Jameson tour, especially at that time in my life when I think I just had a half hour or something, 
and I was just getting into these clubs and I was going out with you and Gardell and Corielli and a great group of guys. Like those were like my romantic years where I was like, this is what it's going to be like when I can maybe do this by myself, but what a great crew. And there were so many countless nights where we'd go out afterwards, Thursday, Sunday, didn't matter. And I would see you after the shows, like, I wish I could be more like that. So oh, the grass is always greener, Bert. The grass is always greener. I would love, I remember the first night we did a show, you had, uh, you were watching a documentary on like World War II. And I was like, in my head, I was like, how do you get that brain where your brain goes? So I was just like, watch a doc and go to bed. <laughs> and you woke up, I remember you woke up, you got went back to the hotel. Yeah. I went partying. I came home and you were coming back from a jog. Do you remember that? Yeah, you yeah, jogging yeah. that night yeah. in Seattle. Yeah, I, uh, I can't sleep at night. I have a tough time sleeping at night. So I like to watch. I like to- Maybe it's because your room's so clean, you fucking nerd. <laughs> your room is so spotless, like feet by the door. Things organized, everything organized. And I, was, I remember going into your room going like, what? Did, did you, you murder someone? Yeah, I was yeah. like, wait, what the I think fuck? That's what you said. Did you kill somebody? Dude, I, I go in, nice. bag explodes everywhere. Yeah. And I just, and then I just, at the end of the day, I just, that last night, I'm just cramming everything. Do you remember the ride we t had from the air, uh, from that hotel to the airport? Well, I remember a few rides from the air. I remember the ride where I, my wife and I had just started dating and she goes, <laughs> so we, she just meets you, right? Yeah. And I'm like, you got to meet this guy. He's so fun. We're going to go out and this is going to be awesome. And I think we were in, in uh, Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah, yep. And so we're in Milwaukee and she's like, my, my sister's, my little sister's going to come. She's in college. And I go, oh, okay. Yeah. So the show just ends. I'm like, let's go to the bar. And then the green room door swings open <laughs> and you are butt naked in cowboy boots. And she go, my wife just goes, oh my God. Oh my God. Is this what happens after shows? I'm like, with him, yes. So we go out that night. We have a fucking ripper. It's so goddamn fun. We we take the early flights out. Yeah. So I take the early flight out, and our car is picking us up at five in the morning. And you fucking come, you fucking come to the car with four tall boys. Oh yeah. And the cat, the, the the airport's fifteen minutes away. Oh. And she goes, "Is he gonna finish?" Like wh like whispering, "Is he gonna finish this before?" I go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then we check in. We get into the fucking airport, and you're like, "All right, I gotta find a bar." And she goes, "Is this?" I'm like, "Yes." This is this is what it's like on the road. Yes, dude. Those are the we've greatest, all had those nights. Those yeah. are the greatest, the best days touring ever. Like ever, you took a wet dish rag in Minnesota. Do you remember this? I don't know. So Jess had like I think this is like this the last year we did the Jameson tour, and my wife's from Minnesota. So there's probably like thirty people like our age at this show. Yeah, a little, little younger, whatever. And we're all in the bar. As you know, Jameson sponsored the thing. So the Jameson's flowing. And we're fucking oh, having a ripper dude. again. You took a dirty dish rag and an ice bucket. And you turn it into a competition. Dude, that was we my- We had to throw it in to the thing from like 30 yards back. And $5 was, buy ins originally, the and then it was $1 rebuys. It was so fucking fun. Dude, you were standing at the bar on the bar at the end of the night going, come on, like a fucking <laughs> carnival barker. We did. Do you remember when we did the beer challenge? Oh, you had to Chicago? hold it up, but had, your shirt's off, of course. Shirt's off. I think I kept mine on. I might have taken You were it commentating. Away. What you did is you oh, had you the had camera. Me, you had me commentating. You had though, the yeah. camera and you flipped the mic around, so you were speaking <laughs> right into the mic. <laughs> I had right. a directional mic. Yeah. Dude, that was the. I look back at those and I go, "It'll never be that fun." Because there never were no. Fun. There were no. We were making great money. Great money. 
at the time. At the time, for what it was, for sure. We were making great money. They were flying us, flying us out, putting us up in first class accommodations. Yep. Oh. But on top of that, I, I will say this because Gardell and I, I, I was just over at his place and we were reminiscing because I was like, oh, I'm going to do. See, but even Christian. still, it's like, like we go back to that. Like, you and Gar- we all were close. Yeah. You and Gardell stayed close. You have an ability to stay close with people that I do not have. Well, he's from Pittsburgh and I'm from the Berg. And I think that was kind of the impetus for us to gravitate towards each other. But I also think he has kind of like that no bullshit kind of like thing that I, I, I think I possess. And we both just clicked. And he was saying how that Jameson tour reignited his passion for stand-up. Yeah. That Jameson tour taught me to be a headliner because I was exposed to everybody. And it also taught me what it meant to be a headliner because you you came on the scene, right? And before it was Gardell that was closing it. And year two, you came in and you were so, just like this wrecking ball on stage, just energy, engagement. And I think from everybody, I learned something, but from you especially, because the minute you performed, you closed those shows because everybody on the tour, you had established legit headliners like, I'm not following him. There's no way I can follow him. And I think I was exposed to, because at the time I was I was doing New York City, I was doing these showcase shows, yeah. but not on the road to see what it meant to carry a show, especially you had the check drop, which is fucking a nightmare but you always navigated it so well and i think with energy chemistry and this likability factor that very few comics i think actually generally possess on and off stage you had that to a t and it was there that i learned the check drop because gardell would always talk about that with me yeah just this wise sage so i you know there was a lot i learned on it but i learned a lot from you and, and gardell and everybody billy gardell man i to this day I hear things he said to me on that tour. Yeah. Never that like ring true today. Don't ever forget. We're $900 headliners at the end of the day. Yeah. All of us are $900 <laughs> headliners because it's true. Yeah. As all you can get as big as you want. Yeah. Some shit happens. You go right, go right back, back down back to, to the $900. Grind, yeah. And you see so many people in this business who don't believe that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude, you, um, but you know, the struggle more so than a lot of people. I think there were a lot of, you know, especially when, when you were headlining, you were in orbit, you were satellite in orbit. And I think that you had the travel channel stuff, but I don't think it ever took you to the next thing. And I, we had a few conversations, you and I, in the years, and, and it just seemed like everybody was passing you by. And it seemed like you were just grinding on the fucking road. And then the minute everything clicked, it fucking shot. And there isn't a comic I know on or off stage that's ever had a bad thing to say about you. You're one of those guys that's like, we talk about Burke Christ, they go, I'm so fucking happy for that guy. And I genuinely mean that. I appreciate that. Because I think, I do think that I have a lot of goodwill with comics. For sure. I think I wasn't, I think I, I don't think I was ever jealous of people. I, I love comedy. So I like seeing good t- uh, talent. Like, jo- like, I could tell you a joke from everyone's act because I, I like that. Yeah. I like that. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, you're not to, not because we're drinking, but you're a really <laughs> you're a really important person in my life because um, the things I don't like. When, and I keep going back to this, but the things I don't have in life is I don't, I don't I'm not comfortable reaching out to people. I'm not mm-hmm. comfortable ever asking for anything. I'm not comfortable um, staying in touch with people. Right. Like if someone goes, hey, man, we should uh, hang out. I go, yeah, 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 yeah. In my head, I go, you don't mean that. I'm right. sure you're just trying to be polite. But like, and I'm sure you know this, but like. My introduction to the store was through you. 
Right. When we played those softball games. That's how I met Brett. That's how I met right. Sebastian. That's how I met uh, Renazizi. Like that whole group, we were playing softball every, that summer. I remember you saying, you said to me, uh, you could use more friends. And I was like. You just moved here. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I was like, no, I can definitely use more friends. Yeah. And you were like, come on, let's play softball. Yeah. And I didn't know a fucking soul. The first person I met was Sebastian. Yeah. And he was. Dude, I <laughs> so this is so. Let me set the table up so everybody knows. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But what we, what we did was we played home run derby. So I had a bucket of balls. Everybody brought a glove, and I had, I had a string of bats. And everybody had just moved to LA at that time, so nobody was doing shit, right? So it's yeah. Sebastian, Brett Ernst, you, me, Renazizi, Mike Young, Mike Young, Mark Ellis, everybody from the store. And we would just go to this park by the Grove, which is where they do like Access Hollywood, Mario Lopez Pan and stuff. Pan Pacific Park. <laughs> and we would fucking just drill these balls. And then we'd time it out where at like 2.30, we knew the Price is Right was getting out. Yeah. So you'd go back and walk through and you'd see all the girls with the name tag on. It's like, oh, you're from Ohio State? Hey, I'm from Ohio. <laughs> come on over. We're get we, you should come to our show tonight at the Comedy Store. And for a summer straight, we had all these girls coming. It was great. But you were already locked up. I was locked up, yeah. And I, and I will say this, and I was telling you this before the show, you were by far the, and I, I'm not making this a suck fest, but you by, were by far the deepest stroke of all of us. I mean, you fucking <laughs> launched bombs, bombs oh. uh, with, with the Home Run Derby. So, I, that, oh, was sorry. My, that was my favorite. But I, but that summer was the funnest fucking summer I great. ever had. The the When I met Sebastian. <laughs> he's in all, he's the dude, fucking gear. I, I can't, fans of Sebastian won't yeah. believe this. Yeah. He was such a, a caricature of himself in who he was as a person. Yeah. Putting on knee-high black socks. All of it black. black. Oh, black, brand new black cleats, black wrist guards, a black bandana, a yeah. black visor on top of the yeah. bandana, ba black, uh, I don't, what are you pulling up? Oh, um, he was so black batting gloves. Yeah. He was, I was laughing at him getting dressed. And I go, dude, this is hilarious. And he was like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. he was not, he was just being who he is. And it was fascinating. He had all the greatest gear. You're thinking, oh God, this, he's going to fucking, couldn't get out of the infield. Could not just get out of the infield. Just pop flies straight oh. up and never made it out of the Brett Ernst, Brett Ernst would hit the ball and go, get that. Oh, he Take would scream that. at it. Yeah, Mother fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck and then you. Mike Young said the best line. Do you remember no. what it was? Brett Ernst has great shoulders and a bad childhood. <laughs> it was my favorite line. <laughs> Dude, it was it was such a fun summer, and you said um, that summer you you and Ahmed. So Ahmed came out one day. You were like, you got you should start working the store. Yeah, and I was and I was like, really? And you're like, yeah. We put in a word with Tommy, call Tommy, and that was my one entrance to the store. Yeah, where Tommy was a complete and total cunt, and he was yeah, just, he was that way with a lot of people. He was like, and I and I was just like, hey, and oh, but but that was one. Fun, that was just a fun fucking summer, dude. Just that was when guys hanging you had a just, summer. Yeah, like, I don't have. I don't feel like I don't get summers anymore. No, those days are gone, buddy. Those, yeah, those days are kids? gone. Well, that was something you told me early on because we were, we were, we were hitting the balls, and there's someone's like, let's go another hour because if you went another round, everybody had to bat, and you were talking about you had to go take a blood test because you had, because your kids, I think you. Had, I think you only had your first no, I daughter. I, I, I might have had just one. I think you had just one. And you said, everything changes once you have a kid. You're going to start paying attention to your health. You watch. 
and you were getting prepared for this blood test the next day. And I was like, yeah, come on, man. Fuck. And then I remember that when I had my daughter, there was something that triggered that memory for me. And I was like, I got to get it together because I eat like an eighth grader, you know? So. Yeah, but you, you're in great shape. No. Much better. Uh, like right now, I'm the worst I've ever been. The worst you've ever been? Uh-huh. Easy, yeah. easy, easy. But not physically, I'm I'm not that bad. Like I've been in worse shape. Right. But like I'm the fattest I've ever been. It's fucking disgusting. Wait, what was, when When did you, how did you get into the store? So I, Cause, I auditioned wait, wait. three times. So wait, let's start from the beginning. Yeah. I don't even know if I know this. We first met in New York at the Boston Comedy Club. Sure. But wait, how did you get into comedy? Where did you start at? I started, um, so my father's from New York City, and when I was in college, he had an opportunity to move back to New York City with That's a job, right. so he did. And I asked my folks, can I experience New York City for a few months before I get on with my life? They said, absolutely. So I came there, I graduated in, from school in Ohio, I drove there and I said, Kent I'm not State, right? Kent State, Ohio. I said, I'm not coming home till I get a job. I went to 86 and Broadway and I went into every restaurant, everywhere I could go with a resume. And then finally I got to 50th and Broadway and there was a guy at a host stand. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I'll do anything. He said, fill this out, come back tomorrow. And that was Caroline's Comedy Club. Really? So I was exposed to stand up. I'd never been inside of a comedy club ever in my life. And they had those new talent showcases that Andy Engel did every Tuesday and Thursday. Or I think yeah. it was Wednesday night or whatever. And I saw all these young comics. I was like, fuck, that looks like fucking fun. So for four months, I worked with the nerve and I went to stand up New York. And I always say stand up the first time was like the first time I had sex. It was quick. I cried afterwards and I couldn't wait to do it again. And so I was just fucking hooked. And the second time I ever performed on stage was New York Comedy Club. Roger Paul was there who is that this small, like a, a booker on the East yeah, Coast, yeah, Tri-State yeah. area. And he goes, here's my card. You got to call me. And I met him a week later. He said, how long have you been doing this? I said, that was my second time. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? And he put me on the road right away. And I was still waiting tables at the time, but I was yeah. able to quit within a few months and I was kind of on the Jeez. road. I remember you were up and running a lot faster than everyone else. But I met you at, at Boston because you, I think when I met you, you had just stopped doing the door. I just stopped doing the door. Yeah. And you were in the rotation then and making the rounds and Yeah. And then and then I I moved out I moved out to LA and then you came out to LA for a showcase. I think you got a deal. You had like the one Never of the had most a deal. monstrous fucking uh showcases for ICM. Or was I it was a Barry Cat showcase. It was a variety That is that is 10. I can tell you the year. It's nineteen ninety nine. You had the no. most monstrous showcase for Barry Cats. I was like Maybe 2000, 2000. Might have been 2000. Somewhere in there, yeah. Might have been 2000. But I had I had it at the Laugh Factory, and Jamie Masada cut the mic on my closing bit. Uh, I used to do that Bruce Lee having sex joke, and he cut the mic on me. And I got in the light. I was doing my closing bit. And it was fortunate that it was at a point where I got a big laugh, and then there was a button to it that got a, 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 a bigger laugh. And I just knew the sound went out. I just waved. I said, thank you, good night. And I walked off, and he tore into me about respecting the light dude he did the same thing to me really it's the reason i don't play that club he hey, was I don't so fucking it, play that club <laughs> i won't play i won't play that club and he's and a class a cunt he's a I say fucking that the worst man i gotta be honest with you i i feel bad trashing anyone so i won't go too hard but like he was so mean yeah and such a fucking bully and so not conducive like if you weren't his guy, and I think his guys were guys that decided to sign with him and work that club. Yep. 
He was a fucking asshole. Dude, he lit into me and cut the mic on me one time. And I was like, and I was like, he was like, you need to learn how to respect the light. And I was like, I was like, trust me, I only had seven minutes. <laughs> I was respecting the fucking light. Yeah, of course. And then and then uh Jay Moore told me if you want to get in with him, you gotta buy him drugs. So what? I bought him, yeah. <sighs> That's always a good sign. So I, yeah, so I bought him drugs of an introduction to the And then business. went and gave them to him yeah. and sat with him. And he never booked you. Never booked me. Well, remember when he brought the Laugh Factory to Times Square in New York City? No. He brought it there for a brief amount of time. And I think Gina Savage, she used to work at Caroline's, yes. was working under- She and, was working at the Boston. And she said, she said to Jamie, you got to talk to Steve Byrne. He does every room, every club. He knows all the producers. So Jamie calls me is after that showcase. And I thought, okay, maybe he's trying to make amends, whatever. So I gave him every producer in New York City- I gave him all the different kinds of shows, different people he should reach out to. I spent an hour on the phone with him. He goes, thank you so much for this. You know, when I come in next week, let's meet up. I go, okay, so Gina reaches out. He'll be in Tuesday at three. I go by Tuesday at three. He walks out. He looks at me, nods, and walks back out. I was like, fuck that guy. Fuck him. He's such a fucking piece of shit. Now, you know me. I'm a, I'm a pretty yeah. easygoing guy, but I was like, that, that's that's not fucking cool. So ever since then, fuck it. There was a guy that came out that was, he was like, hey, I'm taking over booking for the, I was at the store. He's like, I'm taking over booking for the Laugh Factory. You should come by work out sometime. I was like, I'm good. Yeah. He was like, what do you mean? I was like, dude, I can work anywhere in the fucking world I want. Yeah. You think I'm going to fucking take time to go fucking deal with that bullshit? Kiss that ring? Fuck that. Yeah. And, 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 and he fucked himself because he was such a cunt to so many good people. Yeah. And then he started recording everyone's sets. Putting oh, their and uploading on. them. That's right. Uploading that's right, people's yeah. fucking material. Like he owns it. And getting paid for it, not and cutting it. getting paid for it. Yeah. That was so shitty. I was like, dude, keep me away from that fucking club. Yeah. Hey, shout out to Jamie Masada. If you want us to work at a club, <laughs> call us up and apologize. <laughs> Just be like, hey, man, I fucked up. I was a bad yeah. person back then. Well, Jay Davis took over the booking recently. And I love Jay. And he reached out. He said, hey, man, I'm trying to make amends and get back to the comedy community. Would you come by? I said, yeah, I'll come by. I like you, Jay. And it's been years. Maybe it's. And I fucking went in and Jamie was in, in the foyer. And the minute I saw him, I just got the heebies and I just walked right back out. And I said, I'm never coming. I just, I can't ever come there back. Is, there is, there's a, there's, this is a, and I'm sure, I know we've seen this a bunch. This is a little bit of a syndrome that happens in this business. Yeah. But it, it, it's what we're both talking about a little bit is like, what, <laughs> You depend on so many people when you're younger. So many people's approval yeah. matter to you. Club managers, sure. club bookers, club owners are like fucking gold. Like yeah. the Hartmans and the and the Todds and the and all the guys that own the funny bones. Yeah. Stroop, like I mean, I love by the way, these are all people I love, but Stroop, yeah. like to get him to like you. I remember Doc at the Dayton Funny Bone to get him. And then <laughs> Jamie Masada. Tommy, yeah, from the store. Then you get to a place where you're making good money. You're selling out. You got your TV show. Yeah, you're making movies, and you realize I, I don't need them. And then you go. There's a. Then this is the interesting part. Is like we'll be clear about our feelings and who have been have wronged us in this yeah. business. But there's some guys who take that to the tenth level and start burning bridges <laughs> left and fucking right, just like. Yeah. And that's my favorite one to see. Yeah, is the guy who's got a little bit of success and was yeah. like, "You know what? I've been doing this five years. Fuck everybody." <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, this is gonna come back to haunt you." Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, we're all stocks. We go up and down. And some of us can maintain or plateau, but you you got to be wary of what Gardell said, you know? You could be that $900, $900 headliner bucks. again, yeah. Dude, there'll be a time where I'll be fucking reaching out to Jamie. I'll be 55. Yeah. I'll be like, hey, man, sorry about that shit me and Steve said about <laughs> you. I'm, I got a new show I'm trying to produce. It's called... Uh, sorry, uh, I'm too busy. Steve Byrne just bought me drugs. The Rise of the Machine. By the way, for the record, <laughs> the drugs were just marijuana. But in the day, that was like I had to go to a dealer to get it. It was so fucking sketchy. Yeah. And I'm sure everyone can attest and, and disqualify anything I say, but I'm telling you my recollection. Yeah. Um, yeah, that stinks because I always thought like when we came out, the, the the Laugh Factory was like the A club. That was the spot because of Dane. Yeah. And Dane the, made that the, the spot. improv was like alt. The improv was alt and industry. Yeah. And then the store was a fucking graveyard. Store was, it was fucking garbage. Dude. <laughs> no one was coming, man. It was fucking bad. It I was remember those dark scary. days. Wait, so when did you get into the store? I got in the store in 04. In 04, I got in the store. and 04. Uh, so hold on. I'm trying to put this in perspective. Sure. Is this the summer? Is this the summer that me and you were doing Louis Anderson's Sunday shows at the store? Do you, yes. Yes. And do you remember Jay Moore flipped out on me? At Louis Anderson's thing, yeah. he was fucking furious with me because you went long. Because I went and long, and you didn't have a watch on. I didn't have a watch. I didn't know where the light was. Yeah, I didn't know where the light was either. And it was my that was the first time at the store actually that that Louis Anderson because Cat set it up. Serious. So I had no idea that the neon sign in the back was the light. I just thought it's a neon sign. So I was looking around for the light, and I was like, "Oh, I guess nobody's here. I'll, I'll keep going." And Jay fucking flipped out, and I remember taking my watch off, and I go, "Fuck you!" And I threw it in the garbage, and I walked out. Dude. And he fucking hated me and I didn't like him. And then I I think we did catch up maybe like two years later and we we made peace. He was super cool about it. But I understand. I you know, yeah. I had no idea. Uh the best, probably my fault. The best uh the best flip out ever was uh Brian Scalaro and Jay. That same like that's I was I think it was the same night. His uh and by the way, I apologize to Brian ahead of time. I'm sure I'm misremembering this, but <laughs> Brian filled Jay's pockets of his jackets with peanuts. <laughs> I guess Jay was fucking with Brian, and yeah. Brian was like, I'll fill his jacket with peanuts. Oh, fuck it. I'll put peanuts in his pocket. Yeah. yeah. So Jay leaves, and Brian goes, and the joke never paid off, right? Oh, he, he thought Jay would reach it. into his pocket. The peanuts would come out. He go, what the fuck? And everyone laughed. Yeah. He just grabbed his jacket and left. And Brian goes, oh, I think I fucked up. Oh, I think I fucked up. I said, what? And he goes, I filled his jacket with peanuts. And I was like, wait, what? And he goes, man, I don't know, Bert. Uh, yeah. I thought it would be funny. Oh, fuck. I think I filled his jacket with peanuts. Oh, I filled his jacket with peanuts. Oh, I filled his jacket with peanuts. So Jay leaves the next day. He goes, hey, did you put fucking peanuts in my jacket? And I just go, yeah. Oh, you took the bullet? I was like, I was like, breathe. There's no. Dude, yeah. he, Brian, Jay loved Brian Scalaro. Yeah. He rode home. Uh, he rode back on a road trip. He worked with him one time. Mm -hmm. Brian was so funny. Yeah. Still is fucking hilarious. Yeah. I mean, especially at that time, he's so. At that just, time, he was so destructive on stage. Very Jonathan Winterish, Winters ish. Really quick, um, all over the place. Yeah. Really brilliant in terms of morphing in and out of different characters and voices brian scolaro used to make me laugh so far it still makes me laugh obviously yeah. but like but we hung out a lot then and there were things he did that made me laugh so hard because I, I found him to be a true comic spirit 
Yeah. Like, and, and I, I'm, I'm very uh, reticent to like tell some of his stories. I, I don't know if I misremember stuff and yeah. I don't want to ever misrepresent him. Yeah. But course. things I would, the things he would say to me and things that he did and he made me laugh so fucking hard because it was like, I, I felt like that's who I was. Yeah. It's like I would, I would fuck ideas up or things up or social interactions. Yeah, like yeah. putting peanuts in Jay's pockets and it backfiring, is, yeah, and it, and it just not it's just not paying off when you wanted it to pay off, and yeah. then having to be like get a phone call. Did you put peanuts in my jacket? Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. It just never... why would you do that? Nah, I, I thought it was gonna be funny. Yeah, <laughs> and and once again, I apologize to Brian if any of these misrepresent him. Yeah, but like the, I don't think anything's bad, but uh, but yeah, man, that guy used to make me giggle so fucking hard. Yeah. Funny guy. Some of the best nights I ever had was down at the Bagot, down from the boss. I was Dude. so bummed when, when a when Boston closed down. But then the wait, Baggett, wait, tell them, tell like, them, yeah. set the scene of like okay, we're 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 twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. Yeah, if that, right? If that, and the Boston look. The Boston had the unfortunate proximity. You see the, fucking, if you see the thing behind us. Oh yeah, I was. That's I was, the fucking yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, Schaefer, by the way, that's so awesome. What a He's blast still in London doing stand up. Is he really? Yeah. So crying. the Boston had the unfortunate proximity of being close to the cellar. And I think Barry Katz had opened it there thinking it would be competition. Now, the sad thing is that Katz had everybody in New York, but nobody ever went to the Boston. Jay Moore, was Dave at the Chappelle, uh, Tracy Penny, Morgan, Tracy Morgan, Wanda Sykes. Wanda like, Sykes. He had everybody. everyone. He had fucking everybody. Louis C.K. Jay Moore. Yeah. Dane Cook. Everybody. And for some reason, the Boston, it would have its great nights, yeah, but it never was consistently awesome. So it was a great room to work out in. And as a young comic, they were very accepting and inviting to young comics that were not the seller comics, right? It was our home. It was, yeah, it was Me, exactly. Me, you, Gary Goldman, uh, David J. Nash. Do you remember David J.? Oh, yeah. David J. DeRosa Nash. was always Ed there. Ed Helms. Ed Helms was there all the time. Yeah. Uh, Pete Holmes was there yeah. all the time. Um so the Bagot was this kind of like dumpy Irish pub that was the fr the front bar was right by the window, which was kind of and that was like the main source of light. And then as you went further in, it just got darker and darker, darker and, and darker. And as I never even went to the other side because it was like oh. it's fucking it feels skeevy, it feels bad. Everyone stayed by the fucking by the by bar the, by the bar. But the best for me was that they had a great jukebox. And if I, if I got 20 bucks upstairs, I took the $20, I threw it in the fucking jukebox, and I played Oasis all night, because Be Here Now had just come out. It, it was 97 is when that yeah. album came out, and I played it over and over again, and Ronan, the bartender, fresh off the boat from Ireland, he fucking loved Ronan, that. I, Ronan and Patrick were the two Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loved that I played Oasis all the time. He's like, ah, oh, fucking, he was, he Dude, was great. I played song number two by Blur. Oh, Every time tune. I got, I would take my, I, I, I got paid, $25. That's the bag it in. Yeah. Look at Halston bringing up fucking. That was the bag it in. Uh, see that window to the left? That's where we hung out. No one ever left yeah. that window. That was great. And there was a stairwell that, that took you from the, the club to the bag it. So if I, and I worked the door for yeah. the, the, as long as I worked there, I worked the door. So I'd always let underage kids in. And then at the end of the <laughs> and show, then I'd, sneak in I'd go, I'd thing. sneak them down the stairwell and go, yeah. yeah, you guys are in. Patrick, they're good. I ID'd them. You're the cool guy. Dude, um, that was, I had so many fucking nights there. I'd just take whatever money I got at the, because I, I got $25 a night <coughs> from uh, doing stand, from barking. Yeah. Take it right down, give it to Patrick and be like, Here we guys, go. here's my money. I just, when I'm done, I'm done. 
take care of me. Just, yeah. And they would just always plow you. Yeah, pack the fucking hey, another draft beer, Bert. Yeah, That's great, another dude. draft beer. Those were like the fucking salad days. Big yeah. Jay Okerson, Big Kurt Jay. Metzger, Kevin Hart. Think of what we're saying. Yeah, I know. I mean, to yeah. think that like that's who hung out. Patrice O'Neill, everyone, Bobby Kelly, Jim Norton, everyone hung out. Burr? Oh. Burr was at the at the Boston all the time too. Burr's, Burr's uh, I guess he's like our fucking lighthouse, you know? Like whoever's, like I'll be real right mm-hmm. now and I know Bill may take this as an insult. Right. But I didn't see that coming when we were all starting. Yeah, I, I got to say, he was one of those guys that I, because I think I met him at Stand Up New York, but I got past the Dangerfields, and that was the only place you could see 30 minutes from somebody. Yeah. And I would watch him, I would watch his sets, because usually it was like him than me. And uh, I was like, man, he's got such a great, unique voice. Like the same way I felt when I first saw Sebastian, it's just like, and Norton, like that voice can't be replicated. Like the yeah. shit I knew I was doing at the time, I was like, I think anybody could be doing this stuff. I was doing the exact same shit. I, yeah. I was doing stuff that was derivative of like, it was derivative of anything that I thought worked. Yeah, like like one of my favorite bits of yours was the carrot, right? Carrot. <laughs> yeah. And it's so fucking funny, but it's like, <laughs> that's an example of like, well, I guess anybody could have said that, right? Yeah. And I have, believe me, I have three hours worth of specials worth of that shit. And I, I, I it was like, I, I gotta, I, I was always thinking, I gotta get to that point. I gotta get to that point. And I think like the, not this last special you did, but the prior one to that, that came out that blew up. I was like, that's the guy I know off stage. That's his that was voice. What, you know I was what I mean? always fighting for that. And I, you'd see people get there so quickly. Some got there quicker. Some took long. I think it's I took longer than 20 years than you. Yeah. I took longer than you, but when I saw that, the not the second to last one, I was like, "That's the guy I know." Like the other one was like, yeah. "That's fun," but it was yeah. like, you know what I mean? Cowhead you know said I mean. that. Cowhead said that to me. Yeah, the, the so, first special I did, he goes, "Eh," I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well, I mean, it's not. I mean, it seems like you put on like a comedian's costume and did comedy the way you thought they wanted it." And I was like, "Wow, I thought we were friends." And he was like, "No, I am. That's why I tell you that." And I was like, "Yeah, that's friends lie to each other, bro. If I wanted the truth, I'd ask a black chick." <laughs> But, uh, but that's why he flies to Ireland to come see you when you click. Dude, you know. I am solely responsible for your relationship with him. That is true. Solely responsible. That is true. And they didn't like me. Oh, dude. That, by the way, you saved my life. Do you remember at the Jameson Distillery, Bert Kreischer literally saved me from coming back from Dublin, Ireland in a, in a casket because... It's new, it's St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, we're doing that radio satellite tour. So they have all these comics, and we, we got all the headsets on. We got to sit down with the everybody. Fucking day of my life. And crack the funnies. Yeah, and it's nine a.m. because it's whatever time in in the states, and they go, we should do a show, and they're like, yeah, all the comics are here. Let's just go upstairs and do a show. So we're all fucking smashed, and we're like, yeah, we should do a show. Yeah. They get everybody upstairs. It was fucking hot. There was no ventilation, and I went up. I'm fucking blitzed and I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I think I'm doing crowd work, whatever it was, it was fucking awful. And this rugby team from like Russia. Oh, fuck. These yeah. two guys stood up and they're like, you got to shut the fuck up. And I was, 
I, I was doing my seller bits and you know, all that shit coming yeah. at them and they weren't fucking having any of it. And then you got up and you took your shirt off and they started laughing. And then you were like, no, Steve and I are going to improv for you guys. We're going to improv. We're going to improv against you guys. And you turn it into this game. Oh. And then you, you were like the rugby whisperer. You started calming them down and then you fucking cooled tensions. But this guy literally was so fed up with me. He, he didn't want to hear one more word. He was going to fucking pound the fuck out of me. And they were all yoked. That was my, that was, that trip to Ireland was one of my favorite trips I've ever had. When we were all, we were all in that boat that one day. Oh my day. God, that little schooner or whatever. With uh, and it was Calta me, and the crew and Galwin. It was so fun. Dude, um, I, I, that, it stinks that like, it stinks that we didn't have cell phones then. Because oh, yeah, we just yeah, have, yeah. we'd have footage of everything. I mean, yeah. we had cell phones, but we didn't have like the capacity to take pictures the way we do now. Yeah. Now it would just be, we, you could scroll down your Instagram and be like, God damn it, that was fun. Yeah. Look how young we look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My Instagram, my Instagram goes back to the day I met the lead singer from Smash Mouth <laughs> at a fucking hotel fire alarm. For real? Yeah, for real. Hotel yeah. fire alarm went off. We all went outside. I see him at the, there and I was like, hey, man. He was like, hey, you're Bert. I go, yeah, I know you're Smash Mouth. And he yeah. was like, yeah. And we walked back in. They had the bar open because it was late. There was a wedding going on. We walked into the wedding. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, at the wedding, introduced me to instagram they're like you don't know about instagram yeah i was like no and i had these what will the maid things pictures yeah it's the lead singer of smash mouth My, <laughs> it's that, guy, it's that guy's wedding what's the date on that and you're at the bar yeah that's us at the bar that's fucking cool and is that the groom from the wedding uh i think so yeah <laughs> that's great it's my first instagram post smash mouth keeping it streets look at him fuck you man god don't you love when a story checks out the weddings, the wedding just got 2012. 2012. Shit, Seven years ago? Yeah, that's when I got on Instagram. Look how fucking skinny I was. That's right when Jay-Z bought the Nets. <laughs> I remember I bought that hat because I thought it was such a badass fucking hat. Yeah. Oh, God. Mid-roll reads. Mid-roll reads. What are they? These are mid-roll reads. <laughs> Burkcast is supported in part by Mack Weldon, a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mack Weldon believes in smart designs, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I absolutely love their socks. Their socks are the best socks to fly in, in my opinion, because when you take your shoes off on a plane in first class, not in coach, like some kind of animal, you feel like you're wearing slippers or socks are that comfortable. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants that you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they don't stink. They eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it. They will still run, refund you, no questions asked. Not only do Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. It's good to work out in, to go to work in, to go out on dates, just everyday life. Um, the, like I said, I'm obsessed with their socks. I'm a tactile guy, and bad socks can ruin my day i also have plantar fasciitis and i swear to it and i know but these socks are so comfortable i feel like they cushion your feet a tad bit for 20 percent off your first order visit macweldon.com and enter the promo code burtcast at checkout that's macweldon.com promo code burtcast for 20 percent off your first order comedy central has a new podcast called your two dads with sean and julian host julian mccullough and sean o'connor 
are comedians and longtime best friends who separately became dads. In the podcast, they're going to talk to other dads, moms, friends, and more, all while reviewing kids' food, children's TV, movies, and role-playing parenting scenarios from the news. They will also take your parenting questions and answer them so honestly, you will regret you asked them. These guys are not experts, but they're funny, and their kids are still alive. So it's got to count for something, right? If you're if you're a dad and you want to be a dad, or maybe you're not sure you want to be a dad, this show is for you. Subscribe, listen, and become a better person. None of those things are actually related. Subscribe to Your Two Dads with Sean and Julian for Comedy Central's idea of a parenting podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it's 4 p.m. and you need wine. Sushi at 9 p.m. A breakfast burrito at 8 p.m. Ibuprofen. 10 a.m. What do you do? Postmate it. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service you need all year round. Anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the U.S. and offer delivery from all the restaurants, grocery, and convenience stores, and traditional retailers you could possibly want or need. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, Postmates will bring you what you need within the hour. No more trips to the store. You don't even have to know where the store is. Postmates will deliver anything to you. Download the app for iOS or Android for free. Browse local restaurants and businesses. Track your delivery in real time. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 for free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries Download the app and use the code BERTCAST. Did you hear what I just said? That's BERTCAST for $100 for free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmate app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Download the Postmates app and save with the code BERTCAST. So wait, so then... um. Uh, walk me th- I, I want to talk about the movie but I want to sure. talk like what was your transition because you were like the you were the special guy you did so many like 30 minutes and uh, an, uh, an album you did everything with Comedy Central and then you pivoted and went straight to sitcoms and none of us were going to sitcoms especially multicam yeah I went to multicam because I always grew up on multicam I love multicam love multicam it doesn't get the it never gets the industry cachet i think it should because when you do a single cam you watch it and you tell the joke that you wrote and you go well i hope we got it i hope they like it yeah well you do a multi-cam in front of a live studio audience it's like oh they got it yeah. and if they didn't it's like they didn't laugh we got to rewrite that joke so you get the writers together you got to write the joke so i liked the spontaneity i loved as a stand-up being in front of a live studio audience but i also like the fact that you're actually writing jokes that are literally paying off right in front of you because people can say oh it sounds can it's like no they're laughing or they're not because we could show you an episode where they weren't laughing yeah we could easily edit that together where we attempted jokes that didn't work and then fixed them on the fly within two minutes it's like a pit crew the writer team comes on say this then you leave and then and some of the best jokes that were improv in the heat of the moment were vince vaughn because he came to every taping really except for i think two of the 33 episodes so take me back because i'm always fascinated by this sure um but give me like give me like a couple months before Sullivan's Son, the concept, the idea, like 
Are you sitting around kicking around with like Vince going, I kind of want to do a multi-cam. I kind of want to do this. Never. Or- no, it was anything like that. We used to hike up to the Hollywood sign. He used to live right by the, uh, right by the Hollywood sign. There was that dirt path that would take you up. Uh, and we would meet up at like eight in the morning and walk up and he would, we would just talk about what we wanted to do or accomplish. And it was always just like, I think we were both goal driven kind of positive people. So we talk about this. And one so day, funny, I don't see him. My vision of him is yeah. so different than probably what he is. Cause I know that you've told me stories about him Yeah, where I just go, that doesn't match up with the brand I bought. Literally. You know what? He's very much in, in a way similar to Callan where once you walk away from the facade and the humor, Callan is one of the smartest human beings I've ever met in life. He, I was just with him. Very well We just read. watched uh, the trailer to your uh, Always Amazing. Oh, nice. Yeah. On, on Fighter and the Kid. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. We just watched it. And then Callan goes, pulled up. And they pulled up the actual movie. We watched like five minutes of your movie. And then we're like, is this this sizzle? And then they cut it. And they're like, oh, this is a whole movie. We were going to watch the, the whole fucking oh, movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. Callan's fucking smart. Really, really smart. smart. And Vince is the same way. And he's very, very intelligent. He's very well read. He'll take a deep dive on a subject matter and just like a sponge absorb it and it's there for the rest of his life. He's very smart. So we would hike up and one day he goes, he goes, you know, your opportunities in this town are kind of limited given your your background. He said, you should write something for yourself. And I said, well, I never wrote anything. He goes, trust me, you can do it. I go, but I don't, he goes, trust me, you can do it. And that just rang in my head like a ringtone. So I bought all these books and I really took it seriously, and I wrote a pilot script, and I gave it to him four months later. He goes, I can't believe you actually wrote it. I've had that conversation with some people I'm close with. They never do it. So he read it, and a month later, he said, I think, we, I think we've got something that we can expand upon and do something here. So we met with a bunch of different showrunners, and I met Rob Long, who did Cheers for many years. Okay, yeah, yeah. Great guy. Name. Yeah, I think I probably saw it. And Rob and I got together. We re- Originally, it was a diner. Then he made it. He said, hey, let's do it a, in a bar. I said, you worked on Cheers. You want to make it a bar? Let's make it a bar. We made it a bar. And we Can went we change out- my name to Sam? <laughs> <laughs> Give me better hair. So we, uh, we went and pitched it. TBS dug it and we, it, it all happened very quickly. Really? Very, very rapidly. And they were saying most of the times these things take a year or whatever. But from the time we pitched it, we pitched it in November. We got greenlit in January and we were in pre-production by like March and we were filming in like June or something. So Shut it went like up. that. Like that. It was it was off to the races. And it was literally one of the best experiences I've ever had professionally driving on to the Warner lot and you know, you know, you you'd have these guest spots, whatever, and you could. They were like Christmas gifts to your friends. And I did call you, by the way. We did talk about this. Okay. I call you. You never called me back. That makes sense. And I go, hey, burn, burn, whatever. Give me a call back. And you never call me back. And I, it, when you're when you're filming a, a multicam too, it's on the fly. So Monday, you got to cast somebody that's got to be there yeah. Tuesday. So you got to go. And there were times like I, you know, I reached out to Sebastian, and at that time, even like he 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 couldn't do it because he was going to New York city. He's like, dude, this is the one time a year I, I kill it. And I go to Gotham and it's a big payday for me. So he said, thanks, but I, I just can't do it. And then that was the beginning of Sebastian. That's when I knew I was like, fuck. When he told me about Gotham, and then I talked to Mazzilli a few years later, he's like, dude, he's fucking killing it here. Dude, and I remember them spiraled. telling me them. I remember going into Gotham and they're like, dude, Sebastian's murdering it. And I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, yeah, we're all murdering it. Like, I, yeah. I was like, what is he getting? Like, <laughs> we're all tw- $2,700 a week? Is that, yeah. yeah, is that murdering it? Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. I think he was getting like 30. Oh, he was making 
he was making the door. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. So wait, and you you put cowhead in it. Put cowhead in it. Yeah. Scalaro in, in it. Scalaro in it. I put uh my buddies from Pittsburgh in it. I put like everybody I kind of like I, I came up with and respected. I always at, at least reached out, you know, and I always yeah. at least reached out to the people that were there at the beginning for me that I cared about. Um, and and I'd say, you know, half the time I didn't hear back, you know, to be honest with you. But then the other half, like it would either work out or it didn't, depending upon people's schedules. Like Joey Diaz, I, I fucking love the guy. And I, I reached out to him and it just scheduling, it didn't work out. Dom Herrera, scheduling, it didn't work out. Because yeah. it was like this weekend, you got it. Can you come in? And yeah. That's the nature of of um, the multicam, I guess. Do you miss? Do you? I have I have uh, a sense of loss when I think about all my old shows. Yep. Do you miss it? No, I don't miss it. I always. Here's the thing. Before, I think it was season one. This top of the rock book came out about the glory years of NBC. Thursday night, eight o'clock. Right. Warren Littlefield. All these stories, and it was basically a recollection from all these people that were part of it. And I don't forget, I was on the Warner lot and I was reading it and Noah Wiley from ER. Yeah. The show had been done and he was talking about his great times on that. And then he, he told the story about he had come back to the Warner lot for an interview for, for a job. And he finished the interview and he went over to the sound stage, which is called the ER stage. And he walked in and it was bare. Nothing happened to be filming at the time. And he walked around and he, all these m- memories are flooding through his, his mind. And he sit, sat there and before he walked out, he said, it's as though it never happened. And I always remembered that. Once I read that book, I was like, I will, I will savor every fucking second that I, I pull on this lot because you pack your bag, leave New York City, drive to LA for this very moment. So fucking savor every second. And I did. And we fucking party because we would kick the audience out on tape days. The bar turned into a fully functioning bar. The taps really? came out, the jukebox worked, and we, security, we, we would tape on Wednesdays. Security would get, leave us two or three letters on Thursday. Stop, you can't keep doing this. I, I would get so fucking bombed. I take the golf carts out because we get three golf carts, yeah. and we go on the back lot where like Jurassic Park, the Jeep's chasing you and shit. I'd fucking go as fast as I could and, and spin the wheel. We'd tip the carts. There would be cones all over the lot, like to uh, oh, wow. to protect sets or whatever. I just fucking run over the cones, and like people were filming like Man of Steel the next day or something. I just like eh, run over everything. It was fucking. It was the fucking best. We almost killed Clint Eastwood. Owen Benjamin is six seven. He can throw football six. So he could have just left that right there. I could, and yeah, the majority yeah. of the internet would go, "I got it." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we I, almost I don't want to. But oh. he fucking he would fucking we we would we would do our, our rehearsal or whatever we would go out and we just throw a football in yeah. the lot and he threw a bomb one day it was so fucking long and this golf cart is turning around and it just like just fucking missed Clint Eastwood's head Clint Eastwood really? was talking to somebody didn't see it went like zinc like that he smashed Ellen DeGeneres's um front windshield of her golf cart one of the, her PAs was rounding a corner and Owen fucking threw this dart and just smashed it, shattered. So that was, that put the end of football. That's that's really cool, though, that you lived. Because I think I'm doing that with my tour right now where I go, oh. this is the only chance I'm going to get to do this tour do it. like this. And, but I never did that before. Like I, like I had gotta, fun on Travel Channel. Yeah. I had a blast. 
But always, I was always missing my family because I was away. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, my first TV show, I remember. Uh, a, I, and can I ask you this? I assume shoot. because you're in those amusement parks at the time when you were doing that stuff, yeah. it made you miss you kids more because you're doing things that you should be doing with your kids. Is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I always thought, oh, my kids would love this. Yeah. Um, and then when we did Trip Flip, we did that for four years. I was like, I was like, this is great. I liked my crew. Yeah. But um, but I was always scared of the stuff we were doing. A lot of the stuff we were doing was dangerous, and I was like, I don't want to fucking die. And then I fell off a waterfall and almost did. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long story. Anyway, yeah. long story boring, Brett Ernst. <laughs> That's right, and yeah. And so, um, but the first TV show I got, I got the X show, and I didn't appreciate it. Was that Ari Sandel, a producer on that? Yeah, he was. Peter Billingsley worked on your show, too. I know. Yeah. Dude, I, I ran in, we did a show. Peter at, speaks very highly of you, and so does Ari, by the way, all these years later. Uh, Ari was great. Ari yeah. really got... Or he was really, what's he doing now? He just directed like Goosebumps 2 and he's he's making movies. I mean, God bless him. He was dating one of the fucking smoking hottest chicks. I've in never the seen a guy building. with a greater resume than Ari Sandel. That girl he dated lives right around the corner, just had her second kid, I think. Yeah. It's a different, she's married to someone else. Still smoking hot. Of course. Huh. Of course. Um, <laughs> Ari Sandel was, um, he, he, so for those of you who don't know, Ari Sandel was friends with you. Neil Brennan, like you guys had a, a little bit of a group at the store at the time. Like, well, Ari would come into the shows because he was great friends with Ahmed, and I met mm -hmm. I met Ari through Ahmed, okay. and Ari obviously through Peter and Vince and everybody else. So yeah, and so good Ari, looking guy, good looking guy, really dialed into the business. Yeah, he did a sh he would just they just give him money to shoot whatever he wanted. Yeah, he did like a travel vlog. Yeah, and I, one time he just goes, I went to Boston. I didn't see anything about Boston, but this is my travel vlog. <laughs> He goes, there was a fight at a bar, and he just yeah. showed videotape he shot of a fist fight at a bar oh, shit, in Boston, really? and we were, it was like watching fucking fight videos on YouTube. It yeah. was on television. Oh, Dudes great. were lighting each other up, and we were like, we just watched a fight video. Yeah. Dude, he he was great. Um, but yeah, uh, God damn it. I remember looking at a video you guys did, or pictures you guys had of like mm -hmm. a, a trip you guys all took to Arizona. To some lake house or something? Oh, yeah. Ari Sandel. His parents own a lake house out there. And he's got a boat. And we went out there, I think, for the 4th of July. And, like, we've been to parties where, you know, you, you go in. I mean, I, like, I literally felt like the ugliest human being on the face. Oh. Of the, I just went to Ari's Christmas party. It was like, am I, like, I want to sue my parents. This is crazy. Like, they all <laughs> looked fucking stunning. The guys looked stunning. Oh. And then the girls was like, Jesus Christ, man. Dude, I, I look at that now. Leanne just got laser treatment yep. done. And she looks really young for her, you know? Yeah. But, you know, for her. <laughs> but uh, we got into a fight last night because I, I got high on Rogan's podcast. And yeah. things spiraled. And I walked in and I had a good news and she didn't receive it. I got a bag of turmeric it's called turmeric i said no it's turmeric trust me i learned it today no it's turmeric and fucking i don't even know where this story's going but yeah. uh but uh leanne leanne's face looks good that was my whole fucking point of my story well what you were telling and by the way i think your wife is so down to earth and yeah. i think especially knowing this industry and everything else look one of one of the nicer things i've ever had happen in all my years I only got offered a ride home from the airport once from another comedian. It was you and your wife. You had your your wife had pulled up and she said, "Get in, we'll we'll drive you home." Uh, and I always slam. remember that. So thank you. But but your point was recollecting upon your shows about the great memories. Oh yeah, you I had, never so. really, I never really, um, 
I never really appreciated them until they were gone. And, and then I think when I got fired from Travel Channel, yeah. there was so much um, long, like a like a real emptiness that I was like, oh, I wonder if I could put this love back into stand-up. And that's why I, right now I'm like, I'm so dialed into like, everything should be a blast. Everything sure. should be fun. It, this is, I only live this once. Yep. I'm not going to get to do this again this way. It'll yep. never be as fun. In two years, it'll be considered work again. It's, you know, but, uh, <coughs> so wait, so what, then what, when it got canceled, how did you find out it get canceled? <laughs> uh, okay. So the three seasons we were on, I mean, no acknowledgement that we even existed. All this talk about diversity and all this stuff, but like That's nothing. That's going to be so fucking frustrating. We're the second Asian American like sitcom ever on television. Nobody gave a shit, but a we black had the, guy, an Egyptian guy, an Asian and a white guy. Like three Asians. And we, nobody gave a fine fuck. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. but like we were the highest rated original program on TBS at the time. And a new president comes in. And what I learned, oh, I learned all about the business, understand why it's not profitable for them. So they just asked us. It's part of the business. But I always knew at some point, it's as though it never happened. I always remember that. So I just try to enjoy every day. So I was over in Israel doing like this, um, this entertainers like trip where they invited a bunch of people that I do things in entertainment over there for this trip. And I went over there. And um, yeah, I found out it got canceled over there. So that was tough not being home. It was tough hearing these phone calls from my friends because everybody was kind of like feeling like we got a real legitimate shot at getting renewed. So it was kind of uh, defeating, but I, always, I was always prepared for it. I knew someday you're not going to get to come back. So when it happened, it was like, okay, well, it didn't happen. And then once it got canceled, like I had done late night talk shows before then. And the minute I got my sitcom, nobody wanted anything to do with me. Like I couldn't get on late night talk shows. I didn't have a manager at the time. And my agent reached out to all the top management companies, A, a tier level, B tier. No one would even meet with me. And I was like, I when you just, had Sullivan's son, when I had, dude, I had my third season of a show on my third hour special was coming out and no one would meet with me. And I'm telling you, Bert, like, I'm not making it up. Like, at, Sh at Schuler, you know, because I was yeah. asking him for advice. No one would fucking meet with me. And um, I went into a deep depression when the show got canceled because I was just on my own, you know? And I had I, I, I filmed this hour and I went to Showtime and, like, it, nobody gave a shit. I couldn't get on anything to promote it. Was this the joke? Uh, there was a joke you had. One of the, I think of this once a month um i'm gonna by the way if this was never in your special and you just said it once and it was something you didn't want to hang your hat on okay just say i don't know that what joke you're talking about and wink at me okay you go uh, enough with the holocaust movies oh that was in my special can you imagine if they made two titanic movies <laughs> yeah yeah like you go in to pitch them it's like okay i want to make a film about jack and about about the titanic it's like have you ever heard of titanic it's the biggest film ever yeah. yeah 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 but this one's a little different it's like how's it different well you know the story of jack and rose this is a story of a couple a few doors down from jack and yeah, rose <laughs> yeah i love that joke dude i was in the back oh, of the I got improv for that. And I searched for, for maybe what? that's what stopped me from working i don't that know that joke made me laugh so fucking hard Cause you're like, no, this is a couple two dollar down. Two down from there, same yeah. story, yeah. <laughs> Just like the Holocaust. How many are we gonna make of those? It was like, all right, but uh, but anyway. So all this stuff comes out and nothing's clicking. And I've always been somebody that's like, 
the industry doesn't owe you shit. Nobody owes you shit. Nobody owes you a flying fuck. So are you going to sit here and fucking cry over spilled milk? Or are you going to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and get back on the saddle and force yourself to work? the hardest thing to do in the world. The hardest thing. But I wrote the opening act out of all that depression. I was so run into the ground. I'm gonna, I, I said to myself, I'm going to do the one thing no comic's ever done. And that's write the most proper, authentic film about stand-up comedy. And I think I accomplished it. I can't, I can't say whether I did or not because it's always up to the audience. Yeah. It's always up to the legacy of what these films do on their own or how they're received. But I think everything I did for that film that'll come out uh, probably 2020, um, I, 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 think I, I think I may have cracked it. How do you, we'll make, how do you make a movie? <sighs> uh, this is like the simplest question, but it's so complex and tricky. Well, look, I did the the asinine thing of doing a documentary, and as that was kind of wrapping up, yeah, you, the you started, feature you, was starting. You had already like, started. Oh, uh, always amazing. Yeah, and and I knew that was in that was that was what you were you were working on, and then all of a sudden, like way even before that even came, was ready to come out. You were yeah. like, I'm making a movie, also. Well, what happened was I was doing the doc on Jonathan and I'd written opening act. Again, I gave it to Vince and he read it. And a month later, he goes, you, I think you really have something here, Steve. And so so for six months, I was writing, retooling it on the road. Um, but the other half of the time I was working on this doc. So when the doc was kind of in its tail end of like shooting and getting everything together, that's when I found out that we're making the opening act. So how do you I'm, find that out? How do, Who decides it? Well- we had, we had beaten the script into good enough shape and the script, the whole process was probably like a year and a half where taking my initial script and then really honing it in and getting it in, in great tight shape where you can take it out to investors. Vince had just done a show called Brawl and Cell Block 99 that is fucking phenomenal. And it's an independent film. I think I Complete departure from anything he ever does. It's fucking phenomenal. And the financiers of that film said they were looking to do a comedy and Vince goes, I think I got something for you. It was just all kind of like good timing, of course. Yeah. Gives it to him. And within a month, it's like, all right, we're going. And I was like, oh, shit. So he's like, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I'm too young to play the wise sage headliner. And I'm too old to play the MC and feature. I was like, I don't know. And Vince goes, why don't you just direct it? You you know this. And I was like, uh, yeah, 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 I'll do it. I'll, I'll direct it. I fucking read everything I could. Every book I could read. Jesus I reached Christ. out to Berbiglia, who's who's the only comic I know that's done like two he's films. He's directed a bunch of shit. Phenomenal Sleep talent and a great me, source of boyfriend or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, Sleepwalk with Me and um, and Don't Think Twice. Yeah, both great films. And I knew I could ask him, and he was he was so kind and giving of his time to me. And I watched master classes: Werner Herzog's, uh, Scorsese, the Ron Howard one was beyond my favorite masterclass i took and i watched that three or four times because he was the most kind of like accessible in terms of being a great conduit of the information and i'll tell you i i read directing for dummies bert everything i could get and nothing still prepared me for the absolute you know <laughs> storm that hits you day after day for 12 hours a day of directing it's all encompassing i've never been so exhausted from doing anything in my life and now that i'm in the post even that I'm learning so much. I'm learning more about storytelling from the edit than I ever did from writing the script, which I never thought would be the case. But Sweet. it's a fascinating um, it's a fascinating process to be a part of from A to Z. 
And after being on the other side of it, I will say this, I'll never shit on another movie again because there's so many variables that go into really? how it's marketed, how it's produced, the studio takeover, et cetera. It's, there's so many fucking things. But I do know that there's a lot of people on the other side of those things that actually care and are invested in their craft, whether you're a production designer or or sound or et cetera, et cetera. There's so many people that give a shit, you know? So, so, wait, so wait, do you get like... And and by the way, I don't know if what I'm saying are questions you're not allowed to ask. So, yeah. so just be like, eh, it's a little, okay. eh, it's a yeah. little touchy. But like, so you get money, and then did that money does not get you a studio? Do you have a studio? Like, how does it work? We're strictly doing it independently. Okay, and so then you will be done this, then you'll put take it to festivals. Yeah, I think that's or the just normal show route. it to people and see if they you like could, it. You could go to festivals when you're independent. You go to festivals, or you do what's called a buyer screening, I guess, where you invite everybody to all the all the all the big players and all the all the you know your agency would handle facilitating all that. But you get everybody in a room and watch it, and you say, all right, who who wants to pick this up? Or if you go to a festival, it's a, a festival is a buyer screening at the same time too. It's just with a lot more press and so when you public. Get, when you get money, like you go, like you you write the script. Mm-hmm. You and Vince talk, and he goes, I, I'm, I'm just making up numbers. He goes, sure. I think we can make it for like $5 million. Uh Well, our budget was two and a half. Okay. That seems so, like a lot of money, in my opinion. It is a lot, but it's also, it, you know, it, it's funny because it's like we filmed this movie, and we had a great DP, director of photography, named Eric Edwards, who did like Knocked Up, and he did a bunch of Gus Van Sant films. And he did this, I believe, almost as a favorite of Vincent Peter. But he also did gravitate towards the story, and he is a phenomenal guy and a great talent, and he and I just clicked right away. So it was nice to have him on board. But, you know, we have this $2.5 million film, and there's people that say, oh, that looks like a that looks like a $20 million film, just visually, aesthetically, because of how he filmed it. So there's a lot of um, production value, I guess, and even how how it's interpreted on screen. So you got to have a great DP. That's, are you, that was are one you of the first weird? Things. Are you weird about where money gets spent? Do you become <laughs> obsessive about it? And like, and, and then, and then there's another question that I'm dying to know when you get the budget, do you like, so all of our salaries are half a million dollars or do you just go like, <laughs> I'm not making money. Let's put it all in the movie. Well, thank God we had a great line producer named Connie, who's really in charge of the numbers and Peter Billingsley, who's in charge of like facilitating the distribution of that with her. But for me, the most stressful aspect of the film is that a normal film, from what I've heard, you normally do six to eight pages a day. So you got to get those six to eight pages a day to make your budget, right? We were doing 12 pages a day, which from what I heard from everybody <laughs> you know, on our set, they're like, you know, this is kind of unheard of. So wow. you had four or five takes to do everything and you've got to make your day. So four or five takes to do everything. So, and how long's like a, like a take? Is it like, like... It's dependent Eight on lines. Yeah, it's dependent on the dialogue. Just dependent on, on on that fraction of the page, whatever it is. So it, you know, it could be very short. It could be quick. But for me, it was also like getting the coverage right. So it's like I got to get your coverage. Then we got to flip the cameras, get the other person's coverage. And what I learned is, you know, I, I learned this from Ron Howard is when you have some dialogue, maybe you want to start with a wide first, right? So you put the camera there and you get the whole environment in in the scene. So you let the con- you let the uh, actors get warmed up and get feel of the beats of the because it's you do rehearse it beforehand but once you say action, you know that's money that's once you hit record it's money being yeah. spent. So I learned early on go with the wide first and then let's get our 
our close-ups or whatever. So uh, I have to say, Vince Vaughn in Made, the outtakes of Made. Oh, <laughs> that is my comedy porn. Yeah, him in that is the funniest I've ever seen a human being be, in just the way he just take it again. I'm gonna take it from the top, take it back yeah. to the top, and just I, I, one more time, one more time, dude. I was pissing myself. I gave that movie to via to Louis Anderson. Oh yeah, because I go, this is the hardest I've ever laughed at those outtakes. The it's funny because when we were when I first met him, I said made. I love swingers, but I love made more made than swingers. So much better. And and he I don't know that he had heard that that often. And we just started talking about it. And I I, I think that movie is so fucking funny. Oh, it's the funniest. I mean, the guy with movie. the horse whip at the beginning. And what's your name? Bobby Lee Rosigliano. Well, you're staying after class, Bobby Lee Rosigliano. He's smacking yeah. him with that horse whip on his nose. I still to this like, day. What the fuck? I still to this day quote, uh, <laughs> they're in fucking, they're in uh not build a bear in um in uh, the one where oh, you color me mine, color me mine, and he goes, and they're talking about getting a deal done, and he looks and he goes, why are we, why are you painting your frogs purple? Yeah, she goes, frogs are purple. He goes, really? She goes, yeah. And he goes, where did you see that? In your dreams? When your eyes are closed and you're sleeping? Is that where you saw purple frogs? Frogs aren't purple. Dude, <laughs> I say to people all the time, is that where did you see that? When your eyes are closed? Yeah, in, in your, your dreams. dreams? <laughs> God, man, he he, it, like I don't mean to say like was, but like that movie. <sighs> He's so good. And here's the thing. He's so fucking annoying, but you still like him. And that's part of his charm. And the dynamic between him and Favreau, just Favreau constantly just being put upon, like just exhausted, but it's his friend and he's putting up with it and he has to because he loves him. And uh, I love that John Favreau is that into movies and a director and like that passionate. I love that. I think that's cool. I would have, I would have rather in my mm -hmm. world them just do dinner for five for the rest of their fucking life so good at it yeah it's the greatest fucking tv show ever yeah you know it's the predecessor to what we're all doing with podcasts yeah it's true 100 yeah. percent. it's filmed it's a long dinner yeah. they're just bullshitting they're just talking they don't feel like cameras are on them and they clip it down to just sound bites i, I mean i remember where i was when i first just first discovered that was uh it was thanksgiving they did a, 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 a marathon. marathon yeah I mean, I'm glad John Favreau's happy. I'm glad Vince is happy. Yeah. But I wish they were unhappy in their lives and, and back together. together yeah. And just doing stuff by themselves. No girls, no families, no nothing. Yeah. Because they were fucking gold together. Made yeah. is such a great fucking movie. Made is literally probably my top five films of all time. Uh, top I five mean, films of my... True no Romance question. is my favorite film of all time I've ever seen. Time Traveler's life. Wife is mine. Is it really? Oh. Time Traveler's Wife? Dude. I've never seen it. As a father who goes okay. on the road, okay. watch Time Traveler's Wife on a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, right? Okay. Sobbing, crying. I'll do it. Oh my God. <laughs> so, 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 so you make the movie, you, you shoot the movie, you get done. Do you feel confident or do you go like, let's see what we got? Yeah, no idea. And I remember the first cut we did, Vince pulled me aside. He goes, just so you know, you're going to watch us go what the fuck did I do? He, yeah. he said, I've never seen a first cut, a first pass that's ever been good. Really? So just know that. And I watched and I just thought, what the fuck did I do? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Because it's long. It's not smooth. It's, it's not good. It's not good. But the, 
the test screening process is phenomenal to see. And, and there's so many similarities between being a stand-up and the test screenings because you've written bits, I've written bits that I think this is fucking, this is the best joke I've ever written in my life. And you go up and it fucking sucks. The audience knows. They'll always tell you what works. They've never written a joke. They don't know midpoint or no. you know any of these story beats at all, but they just know. I don't know how they do, but they just know and they'll tell you. And the same thing between bombing uh, on stage and, and going into a theater that's, that, that's just like, they're not fucking laughing. How, what did I do wrong? So then what do you do? Do you bring like fresh eyes in? Do you just obsess about it? Do you? Well, you have cards. You have, so everybody's distilling what is they like or didn't like. And when something's resonant or redundant, it's like, all right, I think we found a problem area here. And it's so funny because sometimes you'll do something in one scene that'll have a ripple effect on the next scene. Um, so it, it, it's all tethered. It's all a house of cards. And the minute you pluck one thing out, it really does dilute or enhance the payment at the end of the film or whatever in that scene. So it's, it's a very tricky game. And I have so much more respect for anybody that, especially like the great films that have stood the test of time, it's like they fucking just figured it out. Because it could have been a thousand. This film I'm doing now could have been a thousand different things. It could have been, we had one cut where it was extremely broad. You know, it was cut almost like like a, 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 a broad film you'd see on a Saturday at the Cineplex. Yeah. But, you know, Vince from the very beginning, and I'm so glad, he always steered me in the direction. Was he a producer on it? Uh, yeah. Very hands-on, too. And very, very, I'd say 99 out of the 100 things he says or or saw coming have come to fruition or he's right about. I, I, just to be, I'm not, I'm not trying to stroke anybody, but he's just so experienced in it, you know? Yeah. Um, but there was one cut where we tried, where we tried to make it a little too funnier, and it, and Vince was always his instinct is always to keep the tone of swingers, to keep the tone of made, to keep it grounded, to make you believe in everything. And for example, like Bill Burr's in our movie, and he plays Jimmy O Yang's boss at the beginning, and we have cuts of Bill fucking doing some incredible improv, like really funny stuff. But when we put it in. What we found is that the stakes of Will taking this weekend to perform stand-up were lessened because you enjoyed Bill so much and you didn't think of him as this imposing threat. So we really had to, oh, that's something you got to watch and monitor, right? To yeah, so, so like as opposed to going, oh, my buddy Bill's murdering it, we'll put this in. You're like, sure. well, it takes away from the story. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And that's something you don't <laughs> want to do because as a comedian, selfish, you want to go, I got to let this guy take a victory lap. That's such a fucking funny line. But it, there were lines that ruined the moment. I'll just put it that way. That's interesting. Yeah, that's why I might not be the right guy to make a movie. I would just put all my zingers in. <laughs> I'd be like fucking, I'd just be Roddy Dangerfield from Caddyshack, the whole movie. No, I think that's the great thing about film, though. It is a collaborative effort. Yeah. And yes, a director or writer, you can have your vision. But I think if you're receptive and you're willing to listen to other people these other people like your editor, your producer, anybody else, they're there to they're there to make it better. They're there to be like Mike Calta, like steer you in the right direction, give you give you give you some medicine, you know? So then let's talk about always amazing. How did you meet Jonathan? So I met Jonathan. As you know, we were both New York comics, but I, I wanted to experience the road. I'd always heard about the roads. And, and Roger Paul booked me back to back two weeks in a row. So it was profitable at Charlie Goodnights, North Carolina. So my first weekend was Brian Regan 
and the second weekend was the Amazing Jonathan. So bro, I was bro, spoiled. Put that in perspective for everyone. Oh, I know. These are Brian Regan is the big one of the biggest theater acts in our country, and the nicest, and the nicest fucking guy. He makes me laugh. And, so big party, dude. He visited me one night after a show, and I was like, I never really hung out with him oh, in yeah. passing. I've talked to him, and then I was like, I I think I'm I I don't I'm not going to be able to hang with Brian Regan. Dude, I got a phone call one time. This is one of my favorite phone calls ever. I'm in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, yeah. and my phone rings. Uh, you know me. I'm setting up some sort of game of chance at the end of the night. <laughs> parlor so like, game, yeah, yeah. Some parlor game. Yeah. I got the whole audience still in the fucking bar. Yeah. And it's Corielli, and he goes, yo, you still partying? And I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, clear the bar out. I'll be there in 10. And I was like, what? He goes, clear the fucking bar out. Oh, Make right, sure that no one's yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. That's who he came with last time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And I, sh- and I clear the bar out. It's just me and the staff. Yeah. The tour bus pulls up. Him and Regan hop off. Oh, fuck. Dude, I had to geek out. I geeked out. I told Brian this. I geeked out, too. Yeah. I was, I was, I was like, bro, I got to tell you, man, I've never listened to comedy with my daughters. Yeah. They know what I did, but they didn't understand what I did. Yeah. And they listened to your comedy. We were driving over Laurel Canyon, and they were dying laughing. Yeah. And my wife in the middle cuts it off and goes, you know, this is what dad does for a living. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, what? She's like, yeah, they're just jokes about you guys. Yeah. Dude, Brian Regan is the greatest. The best. And you fucking open for him? I opened for, I featured for him at, at Charlie Goodnights, and then I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, and then Major Jonathan comes in, and his road manager, Joel, who's in the film, he's like a year younger than me, two years, he loves Oasis. I love Oasis, and at the time, everything's on CD, so we're trading bootlegs and just hitting it off, like the three of us. Yeah. It was great. And we kept in touch, and then I did BET's Comic View, and I flew out to LA and stayed at Jonathan's house, and then I did Comic View again and stayed at Jonathan's house, and that's how the friendship developed. So over the years, anytime so I come out to Vegas, him, Jonathan, yeah, I, I've known him, and whenever I come out to Vegas, I'd go see him at the Nugget, like back in the day. Yeah. So we'd hang, and you know, it was it was nice. It was really like a respectable friendship, and then obviously I heard about his diagnosis. And you got a year to live. Get your affairs in order. <clears throat> and that's, so, dude, hold on. Back up. Yep. And for anyone listening who doesn't know about Amazing Jonathan, like you know it better than I do. Yeah. But I, I worked with him. He was on, he was a guest on the X show when I was on the X show. Yeah. He was a guest like w- once a month. And Amazing Jonathan was a magic act that was, it was magic. It was sleight of hand, but it was more comedy than anything. Yeah. It was so improvisational, so in the moment, so high energy. Very. So like, so like stunty, like a knife on his arm. And he's like, if I push harder, it cuts in like yeah. now. And then he pushes <laughs> in and it looks like he's cutting his arm off and yeah. blood squirts everywhere. His eye comes out. Dude, explain to them who he was, like, if you can. From- yeah. He called, he was marketed as the Freddy Krueger of comedy. He's a rock star, but he's he's self-admitted a better comedian than he is a magician. Yeah. And like we interview Copperfield in the film and Copperfield's like, look, I'm more of like a Disney production, right? There's a lot of money behind my my production and my, and my show. And Jonathan's just kind of like duct tape and WD-40 and makeshift and improv in the moment. He'll, I mean, you're sitting at lunch, he'll take tissues and, and, and create a trick out of it. He's just yeah. so on the fly and improvisational, like you said. And a lot like what like Penn and Teller did, like the fun in the moment things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like very, it, very in the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. He, he always brought a volunteer on stage with him and is doing crowd work that is 
on the fly. He's great at what he does and he's touring the world. He's an international act and he gets burnt out on the road and ends up getting a residency in Las Vegas. And you don't get a residency in Las Vegas unless you can sell tickets. And he was one of the first guys that popped off a of Comedy Central in the late 90s, early 2000s. He when did, that was a, he did a 30 minute special, right? Yeah. And that was one of the more popular ones. <laughs> yeah. So he was just like, if you were a comedy fan, you knew Jonathan in the late 90s, early 2000s. He, dude, he brought it. Him, I'll tell you the three people on that when I hosted that show who were undeniable. Mm -hmm. Him, Carrot Top, and uh, and Harlan Williams. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Dude, they were, I mean, bananas funny. Yeah. Carrot Top, I saw him in Vegas years ago. And, you know, there's the guff that's associated with him per the alt scene. Yeah. But I think most comics are like, dude, this guy owns an island. Shut the fuck up. Everyone. everyone I went and saw yeah. him. He had this one bit, Bert. I was in fucking tears, literally thinking I'm gonna piss my pants if he does. If he if he tags this one more time, I'm gonna fucking piss my pants. I really? was like at his mercy. I was crying so fucking hard. Um, but I love him and I love Jonathan. And, and Jonathan is part of that Vegas camaraderie. You know, they all respect and love yeah. one each other, one another. And so when he made that announcement that he was. Um, he was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy. He had to retire from performing. And cardiomyopathy is essentially a degradation of your heart. So his heart is slowly losing functioning. And so I think he's at like 40% now. And so the impetus for me to do the film was he outlived expectations. He outlived that year. And it's year three. And he says, I'm going to see if I still got it. I'm sick of sitting around waiting to die. So he announced three comeback shows. And I thought, somebody's got to tell this story. Somebody's got to do this story. Somebody's yeah. got a, a love letter to his legacy and his career and see if he still got it. And I thought, well, fuck it, I'll just do it. Because I was writing opening act at the time and I knew the story beats of storytelling and film. And I was like, I, I, think I, can, I think I can frame this in the right way. I think I know how to do this. But I also knew the heart of the story, which was Joel Osborne. And when Jonathan was touring, he... He was in Australia and this 12-year-old kid is outside the dressing room. Can you sign this, sir? Can you sign this, sir? And everywhere he'd go, this kid would be backstage. I, this kid's obsessed with comedy and magic, I guess. And year after year, he'd come back and this kid would be there. So he kind of befriended him, teaching him tricks. And he's like 16. It's like, you want to uh, market my one show here? I'll give you a little job. And Joel does that. And then Joel turns 18. He's like, you want to be my road manager? And Joel flies to the States and ends up becoming his road manager. Now, what makes this dynamic special is that Joel is such a passive guy and he's 18 and now he's touring with a drug addict. And really the heart of the film is that Joel is exposed to this guy who's living in Vegas, is a drug addict, who goes through a bad divorce, suicide attempt, um, the, the slow loss of a career due to drugs, and Joel gets this guy back on track, gets his life in order where it's stable, and then Joel goes off to Australia to become a comedian. So then when Jonathan announces, I'm coming back to stage, Joel come back, comes back to open for him, so everything kind of comes full circle. But on paper, it's two guys that should never be in each other's lives. But it's a it's an incredibly beautiful fraternal relationship. And and this has been up on YouTube for 24 hours, and the response has been fucking phenomenal. I mean, when I see two two point three thousand like likes yeah. and then thirteen thumbs down, it's like those are pretty fucking good odds. Dude, 
it's it's a fa- I mean, <clears throat> it's a fantastic story. It's a fantastic documentary. I watched the whole thing. Oh, probably like eight months ago. Well, thank you again for watching it. I <laughs> no, I loved it. it. Yeah. Well, I loved it, but that is that is where my heart is. Like, I, I think more of that should be done. I think there's a lot of guys in our business who maybe um, had their million dollar years, mm-hmm. and then for whatever reasons, a lot of just a lot of just getting in our own ways. Sure, uh, that it falls apart, and that and but the, for them. To not have a story told is a sin. Yeah, I, I think, look, if you can do it about, you know, like 30 for 30 has done countless documentaries and about subject Dude. matter that I have no interest in. And then <laughs> 10 minutes in, I'm like, this is fucking fascinating. I, I think that that's something that's happening with this documentary where people people are being re-educated to Jonathan or they're going, oh my God, I miss this guy. Where's he been? Dude. And then they see it. Him, uh, Jay Medicine Hat. I'd like to see that one. Oh yeah, yeah. Jay yeah. Medicine, that was a guy you'd always hear about, always hear about on the road. Yeah, and he had such an interesting story, and then died in a Target. Yep, go to Walmart, just going to get milk. Died and had a stroke, and you're like, so then that's it? Yeah, that doesn't seem fucking fair because we're all in that same struggle. And these guys, look, Jonathan, was, we're going to be very real right now. Yeah, probably was bigger than both of us as I've ever been at a point in his career. Sure. Yeah. And, I mean, for sure. I, but look, I, I think that what you're doing now, compared to, I think you're just at the beginning of what's what's about to happen for oh, you. I, don't I know really about feel that, that way. Uh, but I'll say this, um, Jonathan. I love that. I love that you talked about the drugs because that was the one thing everyone always knew is that he partied hard, hard as, and he still fuck. does drugs. He still does drugs. Um, he is a drug addict, and he self he he admits that. And basically, the doctors told him if you go cold turkey right now your body will go into shock and you will die really? he said fucking great news for me so he still does it <laughs> but i think what's honestly look when you're making a film like this you, you you can only put so much in it right yeah so one of the things we left out because i i was like i i i, I could be wrong about this maybe i should have kept it in but i think what's kept him alive is that he takes stem cell um delivered from mexico on the black market to vegas I, I, that was not in the film and I knew that about him. Yeah. So one story he told us, and, and I think the reason I think at the time I didn't want to put it's it in. a smart reason to keep it out. I didn't want to get anybody in trouble in Vegas well, either. And you also don't want to, you don't want to get anyone to watch that and then go, bro, how do I get on the black market stem cell research? And, <laughs> well, that's true. And, too, and, yeah. and, and I mean, I have to, cause I, I'm dude, the second I heard that, cause I was like, wait, what was his turnaround? And someone's like, oh, it's stem cells. And I was like, for real? Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets these like, these like, uh, I, I heard of South American stem cells and takes them. And I was like, shut the fuck up. He lost his toe because he's diabetic again. And again, with the myopathy, there's only so much circulation for yourself, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's common with diabetics. You lose your foot or whatever. So he uh, he lost his, one of his toes. And he said, I got video of this. My, my toe, because I have no feeling, it just came off. I just pulled it off. And I was like, oh dear god jonathan he's like he's like you know like that cheese you get that you just peel in the red wrapper it's just like no. it peeled off like that i was like you want to see the video i'm like i fucking don't want to see the video no i no not at all i want to see the video so fucking <laughs> bad now he just popped his toe off he just popped his toe off so what happened was he got the stem cell injected where the toe used to be and this nub grew back and the doctor whittles it into the shape of a toe so it's like that's something I just didn't want. To do. <laughs> Your face. 
So I, you know, that was something I didn't want to put in, but it is something that is, I believe, why he's still around. I just want to grow my hair again. I just want to fucking put stem cells in my head and get new hair. He's you getting great. Toes, what are you talking about? Though? He's getting toes back. He's getting toes back. Yes. And there's hair on the toes, Bert. You could look at that. No, I'm joking. I, that is fucking fascinating. Now, yeah. is he, how mobile is he? He's not. Look, when, when we did the doc, he was thinking I could do a show a month because he got reinvigorated. He was excited. Yeah. And then reality came back into play. And I think he, he did a show a few months ago. And it's just like, I, I talked to him recently. He said, I, I, I can't anymore. So I think he's he's done performing, perhaps. Really? Um, which is, is he in Vegas? He's in Vegas. Um, he's got a great wife that that obviously cares so much for him, and is I I believe she's the real reason why he's still around. To be completely honest, I yeah. mean the documentary does go into that, but um, but look, I I I will, I will say this: I was blessed, honored, and privileged to be a torchbearer in terms of being the conduit of expressing this story. And I just wanted to do a good job. Look, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to make a dime off of this. There was a lot of sweat equity and passion that went into this. But the greatest feeling I ever had from doing this was when we drove out to Vegas and we had pretty much the final rough cut of it. And we showed it to Jonathan in his theater room and he just looked at me and he said, I love it. And he walked out of the room. And I think he needed a second to compose himself but i looked at my other producer and i said that that's why we did it yeah and i you know i could get emotional even thinking about it right now but um that to me was everything dude it's 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 i say this i hope i hope there's someone like yourself that gives a fuck about me <laughs> you know like when I, when they go because i think i'm a good story and who knows how i end up right everyone seems to get rick dukeman remember that guy Rick Dukeman got like blind from diabetes. Like he was the guy in the Burbs. You remember the guy in the Burbs? Dude, he was oh, a huge yeah, fucking yeah, comic. Yeah, yeah, of course. Huge comic. In the 80s. Big, I want to yeah. say his brother started uh, Bone Skateboards. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, his, yeah, he's like a big skateboarder in uh, Canada. Yeah. And uh, look up Rick Dukeman. And um, please. And, uh, but like all these guys. Yeah, Rick yeah, Dukeman from course, the Burbs. Yeah. His brother started Bone Skateboards, and he I think he went blind. He That's died. crazy. Yeah, look at that resume. Yeah, he was in everything. Groundhog's Day. Bur Die Hard? Dude, he was in everything. Great comedian, too. Wow. I saw him at the Improv. Um, look at all these. Hunt for the Red October. Spaceballs, The Last Boy Scout. Groundhog's Day, Last Action Hero. Wowie. Jury Duty is a, by the way, Jury Duty is a movie that did not get its opportunity. It's yeah. a great fucking premise yeah. that could be a better, I, it, that could be a fucking remake. All right. I, I, I stand by that. I'm going to check it out. And by the way, I've pitched like two movies in rooms yeah. where they're like, did you just pitch me Jury Duty? And I was like, <laughs> I think I might have. Sweet. So what's next for you? Well, I, <laughs> I got to finish this opening act film. And then I want to take. When's that? When's that? When's that? That'll probably be. Early. By the way, I gotta say, uh, just being very real, sure. I did not give a shit for your lead actor when I saw him. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Jimmy, yeah. Heard him in an interview. Yeah. I'm in love with that fucking guy. He's the best. I'm in love with that guy. Yeah. Like I just saw him and I was like, ah, okay, whatever. Yeah. Like you know, not not emotionally involved. Yeah. Him in an interview might be one of the. I don't know what interview it was. Yeah. But god damn it, I fell in love with that fucking kid. 
And I was like, uh, this guy's fucking a gold mine. He is great. And he's one of those guys where you see on camera, you go, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope all his dreams come true. Yeah. He's got this great put upon kind of look that he has that just like, he's so rootable. I'll tell you who kills it is Alex Moffat on SNL. He plays the feature act in the film. Who's Alex Moffat? Alex Moffat. He, he, could, he plays guy, guy who just bought a boat on Weekend Update on I don't SNL. Watch SNL. He is so I watch fucking Pete good. That's it. I love him. Yeah, I love, that's all I watch is Pete but Davidson. Moffat kills it, and then Cedric the Entertainer plays the headliner. Oh, I don't know. I've never seen this guy. He's phenomenal. Really? He's one of the like from day one. He's always tested incredibly high with like really? test audiences. And Cedric the same thing. Cedric is like lights out. And I think this is one of those films where, you know, I, I, I've seen him like Barbershop and you know other films and stuff, but I never saw him Cedric like Cedric the Entertainer. Dude, it's something where he's so grounded. He's top five and awesome. with Chris, was Chris. You see him in top oh, five with Chris. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, yeah. he is. He's I, great. I, 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 I'm telling you, man, that fucking kid that you've cast in this, I fell in love with him oh, well, on, on a podcast. Yeah. He was on, I think he was on Marin. Have, have you he had was, him on? No. You got to have, he's, oh, he's got a great to. story, I'd buddy. Love, yeah. Dude, I heard him on Marin. It had to be on Marin. Was he on Marin? I believe he was on Marin when his book came out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. I was blown away by that goddamn kid and as yeah. soon as i saw him i went steve's movie's gonna be great oh well thank you i hope so Steve, we'll see how Segura in it he's not that good you said earlier it wasn't that good yeah i think he might get cut out yeah to be God honest damn with it, it yeah. man it's like that guy gets so many i know i fucked up i should have yeah. i know i know i know i mean had you just fucking called me <laughs> <laughs> this is my problem just call me three times so i feel like someone died i will now knowing everything i will call you three the, times the, the, okay? key, the key is Call me three times and then I answer and I go, yeah. "What's up? What's the matter? What's the matter? Yeah. That's what it takes." Yeah. Are you? Are do? What happened? Do you need yeah. something? What do you need? Yeah. What do you need? What, what's going yeah. down? What happened to Whitney Cummings? <laughs> I'm trying to get Whitney Cummings to start a podcast. She'd be great at it, but she's too busy. She's no, counting money and no, she is not too busy. She is. No one's too busy. Isn't she like doing something with Lee Daniels now yeah. or something? Yeah, like yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. That girl, I'll tell you something. She's probably going to be like, "You called me a girl on the podcast," but she. <laughs> From the jump, that girl, from the jump, from the jump, she had a backpack on going. I'm like, what's in the back? Uh, notebooks, not notebook, notebooks. Constantly writing, constantly serious about this. And when I remember, she featured for me in San Jose, and we went out to dinner afterwards, like at Original Joe's, my favorite place in in San Jose. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I might go out and get a drink. She said, nah. I got too much work to yep. do. She always was where I was like, hey, Whitney, I'm going to go to lunch. I got too much work to do. And like at the time, I was like, we're all working. But then you see the fruits of her labor happening. And that's somebody like I would never. It's just like when you see how, how everything's paying off for her, it's like she earned every scintilla of notoriety or scent that she's got in her bank because she she's is a, gangster, a hard worker and Hardcore. talented, beyond talented. My, my daughter's, my wife's, in love with Whitney. <coughs> we were developing a sitcom, a sitcom, uh, whatever, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, and they were looking for someone to play my wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, that would have been great. Leanne goes, Leanne, this is my. I've got a handful of Leanne things. Yeah, that are, that just crush me. Where I go, oh, that's my wife. Yeah, she, we're sitting in the kitchen, and she goes, um, Whitney needs to play your wife. And yeah, I was like, well, I don't know. Whitney's a little bit past just getting cast in a role and she goes no 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 one's past getting cast in a great role yeah whitney needs to play your wife and i went really and she went yeah and then she stops 
looks at me and she goes, you can't fall in love with her. <laughs> I was like, don't worry, I won't. She goes, no, yeah. no, 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 no. For real. For real. Because Whitney's just that, I mean, I, I, I absolutely love Whitney. I think she's, she's amazing. I have a deep affection for her and, and her work ethic. And, I, and there are times where like, you know, sometimes someone will give you a compliment. Like, oh, you work so hard. And then I think about like, you know, yeah, I've had a sitcom, some hour specials and a, and a feature. And She's wrote and directed a feature, hour specials, author, uh, two sitcoms. Two. Not one. Massively successful. Two sitcoms. And now she got another show coming out. It's just like, just constantly churning out a great product. I'm very happy for her. She, I love getting texts from her. I, w- I wish I could share them online, because, but I can't. But like some of her texts are like, oh, yeah. God. And my, my daughters are in love with Whitney because she rescues animals. Yeah. So like she, she, they like they follow her. They follow like a handful of female comics on on Twitter on Instagram. Yeah. Can't they just be comics, Bert? No, female comics. It's got to be female comics. Because they come up with Nikki Glazer's fucking feminist bullshit yeah. to me. Dad, you're the fucking patriarchy. And I'm like, all right, unfollow Nikki Glazer. Yeah. You're done with her. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Dad, Whitney's got a pig. I go, what? They're like, Whitney's got a pig. Hit her up and see if we can go to her new house. Yeah, she also lives on like 20 acres. So, yeah, of course she got a pig. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. So, wait, I, 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 we ended up talking about Whitney. What's, yeah. what's next for you? Well, I want to film this new hour. I, I just haven't had time. But also, I'll tell you the truth, Bert. I have this new hour. I'm ready to roll. And everybody's doing the hour. I just thought aesthetically, I got to do something different to, to just stand out. But also like to, to be a great conduit aesthetically, just do something different. Because I loved Brennan's three mics. And I thought that was yeah. kind of, I thought oh, that was kind of cool, but it just didn't go the distance for me. So what I did was I created an hour special where I'm doing a talk show, but I'm the only one on the talk show. Wait, uh, where did I, how, how, motherfucker, I knew about this. How did I know about this? I may have told you about it. Yeah, I don't you know, might have but, told me about it. But yeah. basically I wrote with Argus Hamilton, who is literally one of my favorite people on this planet. Yeah. He's so good at those. So he and I have worked together on crafting a great 20 minutes of monologue jokes. So I come out, it's going to look like a talk show. I come out, I do these monologue jokes. We'll be right back. It'll feel like the band's playing. I go, I'm by, I'm by the desk. Now I do 20 minutes of panel. We'll be right back. Go, and I do stand-up, straight stand-up by the, by the band. Oh, that's great. And so visually, it'll feel and look like a talk show. So I put this all together, and um, I think once these things come out, I'll have the opportunity to see this come to fruition and see where it goes from there. God, so I, I want to do that. I wish then, I was more creative. What are you talking I'm about? Stu- but I'm stuck in, I'm stuck in like, I hear an idea like that. I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. The, you know, the only idea I've ever had like that. I tra- when I started this podcast, I wanted yeah. to I wanted to be the only guest, so I'd have pin- people interview me. And man, that <laughs> blew up in flames. Steve, I sat across from a bar in Mexico yeah. from this fucking Mexican bar back who barely spoke English, and he, you could the lack of interest in his eyes. He was like, "Yeah, who are you?" And I was like, "I'm I'm Bert." And he was like, and why, why are we doing this? And I was yeah. like, oh, I'm a comedian. He was like, I don't Did you I don't. just do one example? Or did you oh, I did three and they sucked. They all sucked. So bad. Cause I was oh. like, oh, I forget that if you're not interested in someone, you're not going to interview them well. Yeah. You're just going to be like, so uh, tell me what brought you here. It's like, it's like doing morning radio, you... but with people that don't know how to do morning radio. Oh, fuck. That's the worst. Oh, the horrible one. Can I tell you my favorite morning radio story ever? I, 
I did a show with Colin Jost, who's on Weekend Update, right? <laughs> you used to take Colin on the road with you. You introduced me to him in Montreal. That's right, yeah. And I was like, oh, cool, man. Nice to meet you. Great head of hair. Amazing head of hair. Yeah. I met Colin in New York City via Neil Brennan. And Neil brought Colin by. He goes, yeah, this guy, he's a writer at SNL. He's looking to get into stand-up. I go, really? I, I go, go up and do time tonight. He's like, really? I was like, yeah. Goes up, does 10 minutes, kills. Great stuff. And then I go, dude, that's fucking awesome. If you want to come out on the road at all during the summer, here's my, here's my email. Hit me up. Within two weeks, he's on the road with me and just got along great. And every summer, he'd come out on the road with me for like two or three years. And then he got update and, you know, <laughs> things happen. I haven't been the hottest we, chick in the world. Yeah, we still see each other, but we're not, we're not gigging together anymore. But the last time we did a gig together was in Nashville. We'd do the show together and we go on the radio and this guy goes, uh, oh man, he's, he's just all over it. Colin's like, man, Colin, Colin, she wrote for the National Lampoon and he went to Harvard. Like, what's that like? And Colin's very diplomatic and entertaining about it. He's like, man, that's great, man. And then you became a, a writer at SNL. Tell me what it's like to just be the writer at SNL. So Colin, of course, answers. And he goes, and then you became head writer in the same year you were weekend update anchor. Tell me about that. And Colin goes and tells me. And then he finally looks at me. He goes, Steve, you, you're Mexican, right? I was like, what the fuck? what the fuck and colin and i were fucking crying i was i i never wanted to just get up and walk out of somewhere oh. so quickly but that was the one instance where i was like fuck man wait can i just tell you google me can i tell you the best morning radio story ever <laughs> i'd love to hear it it. my favorite morning radio story. i know i've told you this i'm telling this and i know i've told this my favorite morning radio story ever 2005. Yeah, I take Nikki Glaser on the road with me right. to Richmond. There's a guy named Buzz with one Z. Yep, Buzz with one Z. We you went to go did, Burger King. We went and did a show called. Did you do his karaoke with him? Oh, of course. <laughs> you ever have sex with a black chick? Their their pussies smell different. Thanks, oh, cool, Buzz. man. It's six in the fucking morning, Buzz. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We're Buzz. just going to do radio. Can yeah. you not let's let's not talk for a little bit? Yeah. I love. I mean, by the way, I love you, Buzz. I love you, Buzz. Yeah. Um, uh, I go to do Sludge. Remember Sludge? Fucking love him. Yep. I fucking love that guy. He's in Chicago now. He's now in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Brian, uh, Brian Haddad. Brian, right? Brian Haddad. He was in Philly when I did my special there. Yeah. So we go to do Sludge. I bring Nikki in with me. Yeah. And uh, Nikki is just sitting off the bus. You know, when sometimes when you're a feature, you'll sit off to the side. And then, yeah. You know, once things get rolling, they'll bring you in. So wait, who did you bring with you? This is right when like. I want to say like Friendster or Facebook or MySpace. MySpace was yeah. like blowing up when you could comment and like you could read comments from fans. Right. And so Sludge brings up, he goes, Bert, what's the fastest you've ever had sex with a chick? I go, I'm a bad fucking, I'm a bad one to ask. I'm only had sex with six chicks. That's, yeah. I'm not the right guy. And he goes, really? And I go, what about you? And he goes, I'm actually worse than you. Like it's always taken me like at least a month, at least like, Six months, and Nikki goes, um, actually, and he goes, well, who you got with you? I said, this is Nikki Glazer. Nikki comes on to the mic. She goes, actually, I got, I've got a story that uh, it's pretty quick. And we're, and, ever, and and then Sludge starts selling it. Uh, Nikki Glazer's uh, in studio. She's beautiful. Yeah. And she's about to tell us the quickest she's ever had sex. She goes, well, just hear my story. I was at a bar, and I met this guy. Uh, he was kind of sitting down the bar from me. I I, I didn't know him, I but and. He reminded me a little bit of my best friend's little brother, who I always thought was cute and cool, oh, but he was like my age version of that guy. And yeah. some just made my heart go out to him. 
And so uh, I went up to him and, uh, and I took him into the bathroom and I gave him a blowjob. And, but, and Sludge is like, whoa, 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 and dumps out of it. And he goes, you cannot say that. Yeah. You cannot say that. Now we're back on air. You cannot say that. The <laughs> phone lines light up. <laughs> MySpace lights up. Yeah. Wait, what did she say? What did she say? Yeah. And Sludge is like milking. He goes, we cannot say what she said. It is, I'm telling you, hold on one second. Like, it's a great story. And she goes, well, what, did I mess up? And he's like, yeah, there's certain things you can't say on radio. Yeah. And everyone, she's like, okay, hold on. I'll tell Nikki's story. And I go, no, not, don't you tell Nikki's story. Nikki, can you tell it, but like clean? And she goes, yeah. I can tell it clean. And we're like, okay. She goes, okay. So I was like, take it from the top. I'm at this bar and I'm sitting down the bar from this guy who kind of reminds, reminds me of my best friend's little brother, but he's my age. Yeah. But there's something about this guy where I go, this is a good guy. Yeah. So I go down to him and I grabbed him. And I brought him into the bathroom and I sucked his dick. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking, dude, uh. I was on the fucking floor dying fucking laughing. And he's like, you cannot say suck this dick. You cannot say suck this dick. <laughs> She's like, but you guys call each other dicks. He goes, yeah, I can say he's a dick. I can't say I put his dick in my mouth. <laughs> dude, I... Oh my god, that's funny, dude! I could hang out with you all day long. You got to come back and do the podcast. For sure, yeah. When's your movie coming out? Well, uh, I think that'll come out probably early 2020. I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, come back and do it then. Come back anytime, Steve. Thank you so much, I, dude. I, I love you, brother. I mean, I, mean, I truly like, love you too. There's a handful of guys that I really have a connection to. That I, it's there's no pretense, there's no bullshit, there's no put upon. It's just us hanging. It's my daughter Georgia. How old is this fucking child? <laughs> uh oh! I guess this podcast is over. I think yeah, we're going to we dinner. Gotta, we had to wrap it up. Someone's I will say this: I just saw you in Vegas this weekend. And oh my god, we were just together this weekend. I was at the MGM and I went to the wrong MGM, and I was there with Ellis, Mark Ellis, and Butch Bradley, and we were walking around Wet Republic. We're at the wrong pool. We're at the wrong casino, and we're walking across the Sky Bridge to go to the Park MGM. Yeah, is that was called. And and I think it was Butch Bradley goes, "Who else?" would we cross the Skywalk Bridge for? How many comics would you actually be willing to do this for instead of just saying, fuck it, let's just go eat? And we're all like, yeah, we love Bert. <laughs> Dude, it was so fun catching up with you this It was weekend. awesome, man. It was great. It was great to see you. And I'm so happy for your success. And again, like I said, there's, there's, I, I, I can't think of that many comics that have that much goodwill where comics are like, I'm so happy for that guy. I'm genuinely happy for you. Because I remember Same having here, a conversation brother. with you I believe in a in a in an airport. I think it was like in Missouri. And we saw each other way in the morning, and we were just catching up. We hadn't seen each other in a while. I was working on Travel Channel at the time, and you were beat up. You were just beat up. And yeah. You're like, man, it just seems like nothing's kind of. And then to see like everything coming to fruition for you, I'm just like over the moon happy for you, bro. Man. I, Truly, I, I got to be honest with you, man. And I and I say this compliment back to you to see to, to see the way you've taken this career and and expanded it in ways that a lot of us don't is so inspirational man i'm I, I i like i want to do everything you've done i look at what you're doing and i go i want to make a movie i want to do a sitcom i want to fucking think out of the box when i do specials i want to do a documentary yeah like it is dude you're an inspiration man thank, well, thank you. you thank you thank you i love Much you love. brother love you too all right man. let's talk each other's dicks <laughs> all right <laughs>
This episode was brought to you by The Machine.